Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30, Action Sports Jacks. Austin Lane. He's a former Jag star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the this is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. The Jacksonville Jaguars, what kind of grade would you give them? In 2019, after a Thursday with one pick, a few picks on Friday and a few more picks on Saturday, getting pretty good reviews from around the National Football League. One head scratcher, and that's just because the guy's from Murray State. I mean, Easy. what the heck? I mean, that's, that's what, how else can we explain it? Easy. Simple as that. Brett Martin of Austin Lane here on a Monday and a beautiful one in Jacksonville, Florida. Scott is with us. Kuz is gone. This is going to be one hell of a show. Oh, yeah. We're going to have some fun today. Let's hey, what's it. up, man? How you doing? Living the dream, man. Had a great weekend. Yeah, it's like, are we allowed to talk to you when you don't do the show? Because yeah, as I don't long feel as Nick like isn't watching. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you've been well. Last time you uh, jumped in for Coos, you were fantastic. So yeah. looking for another uh, a good few days until Coos gets back. Do you know if Coos ever even went to the NBA game the other night? I he feel go? like if he did go to the game, he probably would have told us about yeah. it. So uh, he probably didn't. He is, he is in Colorado, so who knows what's going through yeah, his head right that's now. That's a good point. So I'm going to say By that. By the way, is it... I, like, if you keep the absent total for the first, uh, like, 80 shows of this thing, why does Coos lead the way? That's a good point, Brent. I think you've missed one. One day. I think yeah. I've missed one. Yes. Coos has missed enough. 12, 13 days, it seems and, like. And I hear he's got a ton to miss in May. Well, and then we have to remember, like, sure, sometimes he's here in the studio, but, it, <laughs> but is he really here doing the show? You Does know, it so he's missed a lot of days, to say the least. Okay, Fair on enough. behalf of my production brother on that, slow down, slow down. <laughs> I like it. Uh, way to defend him. Uh, he's a good man. Hopefully he's having a, f- a few good days out there in uh, Colorado, and then he'll be back later in the week. But great to have Scott along here on a Monday, and uh, hey, let's do it. It's it's. Draft Redux Week, um, <laughs> or at least day. You know, you went through this whole process. Everything, everyone, and we too talk about the draft process and how crazy it is, and the combine, and the traveling, and the visits, and the working out, and your your senior college season, your junior college season never really ends. But then you make it. Then you get the phone call, or you're signed as an undrafted free agent. Now what? Like, what's this week like? Rookie minicamp at least now, is not until next Thursday Mm -hmm. for the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's almost like a balloon probably gets let out. I would imagine, like, once the... uh the high of getting picked, whether it was Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, and, and being introduced by the new team or talking to the new team and everybody, all your family and friends reaching out to you, 48 hours, 72 hours goes by. I wonder what this day is like for all the draft picks. I'm sure some guys are probably curing their hangover right now. <laughs> um, but it's just you're breathing a fresh of you're basically just sighing, you know, and you're breathing a breath of fresh air because you have a home now. And it's like I said when I got drafted. I mean, I felt so relieved because there was 30 possible cities where I could be living in. So 
the hard part's over now. I mean, they had to put in the combine. They went to the senior bowl or, or some kind of all-star game. They had to do the off-season conditioning and the training to get ready for that stuff. It's all gone now. They went through the draft, and now is the cool part of just playing football. And then they're going to realize it's not like college where you have to worry about your studies. You have to go to class. This is just football now. This is just the game that you've been playing, you know, since you're in maybe third or fourth grade. And, and granted, you know, the, the game's got faster. Um, it's, a little, it's a little more complicated, but it's still the same old game. So from that perspective, uh, I think there's a lot of excitement going on in those players' heads right now. Speaking of excitement, what did you think about the Jaguars draft on Friday and Saturday? Obviously, second round getting Jawan Taylor. We talked a lot about it. They'd have a pretty good player at that top of that second round, and they even traded up to go get Jawan Taylor. They didn't want to wait any longer. They get the tight end in the third round. And Josh Oliver. That's a guy. That you, was my guy. I mean, you probably mentioned Josh Oliver. I, I mean, I don't know, upper of around 50 times in the last couple of months. So <laughs> yeah. I, I know we talked Hawkinson a lot. People talked Fant a lot because they were high guys uh, in the draft. And, and Hawkinson, by the way, would have been the guy if Josh Allen didn't fall to them. But we even talked to Irv Smith in the second round. But, again, you, to your credit, you mentioned uh, Josh Oliver a bunch. We saw him at the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. And why do you like this guy? Do you, and I'm sure you love the pick. Yeah, uh, let's be honest. I'm surprised I haven't got a restraining order yet from him because I, I have mentioned him so many times from the Senior Bowl. Um, when I was doing like my research uh, at the tight ends of the Senior Bowl, he was my favorite out of that group for a few reasons. Number one, the guy's an athlete, okay? He came into San Jose State as a defensive end, and due to just the scheme and due to players getting hurt, they asked him to play tight end. So immediately right off the bat, I like the mindset that he's a defensive guy because we've talked about it, Brent. Playing on the defensive side of the ball takes a special kind of mindset, takes a special kind of character. So the fact that he started out as a defensive end, switched over to a tight end, is is a good sign from the fact that I think he's going to be willing to work. I think, and he's, he's slated as this guy who's a receiver, maybe lacking in the blocking game a little bit, but I think he's a guy that can develop into a, a fantastic blocker because everything you read about him, he's a fantastic teammate. He's a hard, hard worker. Um, he, he runs the entire route tree. So what does that mean? It means he can run on the first level, second level, and the third level. There's not a route this guy can't run. So from that perspective, and Nick Foles coming out and saying that he wanted a weapon, I think they got a weapon in the third round with Josh Oliver. Yeah, screw the blocking. I don't care about the blocking. You football you. people can really value the blocking as much as you want, but that's what you have offensive linemen for. I want a guy that <laughs> needs to make plays and can make plays. And what I love about the buzzwords that I like around Josh Oliver fast and in space and i have a feeling john d filippo is going to be able to put him there and he's going to be able to scheme him there and then does the guy live up to it does he deliver well that's something he's going to have to do and we'll see but i i like the idea of this uh with josh oliver so i'm not again the blocking is so not a sexy thing anyway i, I get it that it's an important part of it I, I don't want to dismiss it but i do think with this football team with question marks on the outside. I think they're hoping. There's a lot of hope. DJ Chark, D.D. Westbrook, Marquise Lee comes back. Keelan Cole finds himself again. That's a lot of ifs and hopes that at least they gave the fans, they gave Nick Foles, they gave themselves another option in the pass game, and I think that's what they did with Josh Oliver. So I, I will warn you this, and we talked about it a lot during the whole process. There are not a ton of tight ends that come in year one and really wow you. Even the good ones, their first year is not like, oh, my gosh, this guy's incredible. Uh, It takes some time to develop in the NFL, I think, for tight ends. So we'll see if this guy can do it. I'm not saying nobody has done it, but it's pretty unusual for a rookie year tight end to just like, whoa. 
No, without a doubt. I think the one thing that Oliver has going for him, too, is that he's a red zone threat. Last year, if you're watching the Jacksonville Jaguars, you're watching Blake Bortles throw the ball, and granted, they didn't get to the end zone that much. You know, they didn't get in the red zone that much, but there was really no guy. I mean, I guess maybe D.D. Westbrook for a little bit, but they didn't really have a red zone threat. I think Josh Oliver um, can line up in a, in a variety of spots in a bunch formation on the line, wherever they want to put him, wherever John Filippo wants to put him. And this is a guy, too, that he's got ties to John Filippo because John Filippo has ties to San Jose yeah. State, so he kind of knows what he's getting already, and I like that a lot. So this is a guy that I think you can, you can put him in the red zone, and he can go up there and, and jump and get the touchdown. And just to be clear, I mean, uh, DeFilippo's uh, ties to San Jose State go back a ways. It's 2010, 2011, but you also always keep friends usually in those old spots, so I get your point uh, in, in talking about that. Uh, this guy was that second-tier tight end, and uh, I think he's a very important pick for the Jags. I really do. And The other part, and we'll talk about this, should the Jags make a run at a guy like Kyle Rudolph? There was some word over the weekend that Rudolph could become available by the Minnesota Vikings, who did take Irv Smith, and He's got one year left on his deal. I think I saw the number was around $7 million. Uh, so that seems somewhat affordable. Reconnect him with Filippo. Not like they've spent a ton of time together. Remember, Filippo got let go with a few games left in last season. But at least they would know each other. Another guy familiar. And Kyle Rudolph's had a nice career. So that'll be interesting to see if they explore that. If Filippo or even a Foles goes and knocks on the door down the hallway and says, hey, let's take a look at this. Let's take a closer look at this. And we get a veteran guy. There's a lot of unknown in that tight end room. I know they drafted a tight end, but they didn't necessarily sell me like, all right, this tight end stuff is going to be good. I mean, we know this. That pass rush looks really, really good. You can have a ton of confidence (laughs) in it. You can have a lot of confidence in Nick Foles. You can have a lot of confidence in the running backs that they revamped totally, which we do have to talk about. I mean, have you ever seen an overhaul of a position in one offseason around here like the running backs? For the Jacksonville Jaguars, including the coach, so we'll talk about that. But I do think wide receivers and tight ends and even the offensive line in terms of staying healthy in production is a curiosity as we enter the 2019 season for the Jags. We'll talk about your guy, Quincy Williams. This was one that is much criticized, still is much criticized, but people are backing off to a degree because it has some support elsewhere. Obviously, he's a Murray State guy. We're going to have the football coach at Murray State on the show at 3.30. Let's learn more about Quincy Williams because outside of the big-name picks, I think all eyes are on this young man. And I don't know if that's fair or not, but I think there will be a microscope on the linebacker. And what did it mean? Why did they do it? We'll talk all about that pick and the remainder of the picks. I think once you get past Friday. I think yes, the diehards will say I love that pick, that's a great pick. Or the diehards will say eh, or he can he can help us. But it's a crapshoot let's be honest, right? I mean yeah. once you get into that where the Jags were picking in the fifth round, sixth round, seventh round there's some fun selections in there the running back, obviously Gardner Minshew, Minshew yeah. uh, the quarterback is, is a fun dude. I mean that's a that, what a talking point that is. I mean we're going to have some fun with that guy as a backup QB I hope they let him talk to us once a week. Please do, yes. <laughs> uh, I'm banking on it. So there's some fun involved in those fifth, sixth, seventh rounds. But how much you can rely on productivity from those, I think, really falls off the table. Uh, although the Jags have had some success in the past doing that. Let's uh, talk more about the draft. Let's talk more about this Quincy Williams pick and what else the Jaguars did. Also, big story on the table coming out of the weekend is Telvin Smith still. And where is Telvin? Where is he in relationship to where the Jags inside that building are or think they are? Where is this thing headed? 
I mean, this is one of the biggest unknown stories and maybe overblown. But with the comments we're getting out of Jags headquarters, not much factual stuff, but the comments alone have certainly opened the the door for speculation in the last couple of days on Telvin Smith. So, you know what we're going to do? Speculate <laughs> a little bit. Let's talk more about that and so much more. We've got some guests lined up, including the head coach from Murray State, a coach Quincy Williams, coming up at the bottom of the hour. So if you want to learn more about that new Jags linebacker draft in the third round, make sure you hang with us on ESPN 690. Ton to get to on a Monday. Hope you had a good weekend, everybody. And thanks for uh, jumping in on Action Sports Jacks. Brent Martin, Austin Lane, Scott with you here on a Monday. We'll be back right after this. and Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and on your smart speaker. Welcome back, everybody, here on a Monday. Hope you're doing well and uh, having a good uh, start to the work week. The Jaguars had a good work week. I think overall, I saw Mel Kuyper gave the Jaguars a B from a grading standpoint. Uh, I... Sure, B sounds good. I, I mean, that's NFL hit him with an A minus. Yeah, there you go, A minus. I, I think that's suitable. You know, the only head scratcher <laughs> is the, the head scratcher around was the Quincy Williams pick, who we're going to talk about, the linebacker out of Murray State, and that's because nobody had him on the board. Mm-hmm. Nobody had him anywhere. They couldn't find video of him. I mean, ESPN says they have over 500 video clips of, of people. Well, NFL Network and ESPN and all these people, they couldn't find, like, it wasn't like immediately, oh, let's show you all, all the highlights from this guy. Well, so all everybody assumed the Jags must have reached for a guy who, who could be an undrafted free agent. ESPN do better. How, how does that sound? So here's, I'm going to... ESPN 690, just trying to make it work. Just trying to make it work over here. So this is going to start with Juwan Taylor. And um, it's not really a rant, just some of my feelings, but I'm going to share them right now, Brent. So with Juan Taylor, the whole time, what was the narrative? He's going to go top 10. He's the best tackle on the board. We had all these draft experts uh, tell us this. Uh, all these scouts tell us this. So then what do we do? We go on our radio stations, and they go on their TV shows, and they say, yeah, Juan Taylor, probably going to the Jaguars. And Juan Taylor was a guy that it's not like I hated on him, but I thought, well, this guy kind of came out of nowhere. He's not the consensus, I think, overall best offensive tackle. There were some question marks for him. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Juwan Taylor slips through the first round. And now the narrative is, oh, it was because of the leg. I mean, all of a sudden, people started to ask the experts, well, what happened with Juwan Taylor? You guys said he's going to be the, the, top, the, the top, uh, top guy. Oh, it's, it, it's his knee problem. Team reporting his knee problem. No, you're just trying to cover your ass because you were wrong. Yeah. Maybe the whole time Juwan Taylor was a second-round you know, grade from NFL teams, but for whatever reason, you thought he was going the first round. And then you're going to put his knee as an excuse for the fact that you couldn't do your job right. And now, listen, Brent, I understand. I'm part of the media, and I'm part of the landscape, but I'm always going to be a player first. Okay, so then when we get to Quincy Williams, and I get it, that the kid didn't go to the combine. He didn't play in the senior bowl. He played in a smaller all-star game. He's from Murray State. No really, really knows where that is. So I understand that. But you mean to tell me, and we've had the Falcons come out and say, we've had other teams come out and say, too, as well, that they're interested in him. So when this kid gets drafted the third round, and he even said it himself that there was a, a grade from him that he thought from the third to undrafted free agent. Now, that, that's a big grade difference, but that's what he said. So you mean to tell me that this kid who was on team's radars, you couldn't find any film of whatsoever? Give, give me a break. Do, do your job. Simple as that. Yeah, they didn't... Uh they didn't dig deep enough, I guess. And then here's what sucks for Quincy, 
is that the fact that since someone can't do their job at ESPN or NFL Network and didn't have any film of him, now people are going to think, well, the Jags definitely reached for this kid because there's no there's no film on him, and the experts are going, we didn't even have him in our top 200, yada, yada, yada. So that's what ticks me off a little bit, and maybe I'm a homer, Brent, because I'm a Murray State guy. Maybe Might that's be. the case. A little bit. But I think that we, we, we rely I don't on know the, if you'd be ranting like this if the guy was from Ashland University. I mean, definitely not. But I think we put so much stake into these draft experts and to these scouts and how they dictate the narrative. And then when things don't go the, the, the way they say they're going to go, we point to, well, either it's a bad pick or there's something up. Well, listen, the, people might not be wrong either. It, it's, the, it's hard to make it in the NFL as a good player. So this is what I always say. If you're going to criticize a quarterback or criticize players in the NFL and really hammer them, well, you know what? The odds are with you that you will be right because it's hard <laughs> to make it in the NFL. And it's hard to be good in the NFL because if a guy's just average or not good, well, then you kind of were right anyway. So for anybody who criticizes all the time, you've got to leg up on the people that defend. I mean, it's just the way it is. Uh and I don't mind the criticism. I, this, it was kind of like, well, what do we, what, really? But I think in the 24 hours, 36 hours after, you get some explanations. You mentioned Atlanta was willing. I thought Kyle Shanahan did the Jags a huge favor from a public perception standpoint, where in his news conference, he brought up the Jags pick of Quincy Williams and said, that guy got picked right where he should have been picked. Yeah. Now, they play a similar scheme. They were obviously interested in him as well, or at least thought highly of him as well. Uh, I also think people are losing sight of a couple of different things. The Jaguars did not have a fourth-round pick. So if you thought linebacker was something you wanted to covet, which I think was evident that they did, well, you weren't getting back until the fifth round on a linebacker. And it's not a deep linebacker draft. I heard they did like someone else in the third round. And that guy was off the board. And so now you start saying, okay, while we do want to stick the best player available, you might have to also fill a need. And I think that's where the Jags landed on this guy in the late end of the third round. If they had had a mid-fourth round pick, would they have gambled a little bit more and said, hey, we'll see if he's still available? Maybe. Or maybe not. Maybe they would have still used this third-round pick. I don't know the answer to that. But I, I think... Knowing that they did not have a fourth-round pick, and also knowing this, Austin, I don't think uh, we said last night on our show on TV, on CBS 47 and Fox 30, there wasn't another linebacker picked until 130. Mm -hmm. So he was at 98, almost a whole, so basically a whole round went by before another linebacker was picked. What does that tell you? The linebacker draft wasn't that deep. Well, so I, I think if you were going to get one, you need to get one. There's a third element of this, and I don't want to get into this part too much, but I do think you have to at least consider this is a weak side linebacker. Did the Jags just buy themselves an insurance policy with whatever is going on with Telvin Smith to at least have a body available? Because right now it seems like the Telvin Smith stuff is pretty unpredictable. Now, I don't think you waste a third-round pick just for that reason. But I think you at least have to consider it part of the equation. And we'll, we'll expand on Telvin Smith in a little bit. It's got something to do with it because as I was watching the draft unfold, you know, and I'm sure Caldwell will say something different. I thought wide receiver was kind of a big need for them. Um, I understand they got Collin, which is a big get for the Jacksonville Jaguars, but they have a lot of guys on that roster that are either unproven or are coming from injuries. You know, so while there might be talent there, there's not a lot of talent that's proven yet. So there was a guy... Hakeem Butler from Iowa State, yep. who was a who was a big uh, big threat. I think he was like six four, six five, a skinnier dude. But I mean, 
you know, when you talk about that one receiver, that's who you think of. So from the third round spot, I saw him there. So that's where I thought the Jaguars were going to go. And um, linebacker wasn't necessarily on my mind in the third round just because, and I guess maybe I was being naive, because I figured the whole Telvin Smith stuff would blow over. Now we've been talking about it a lot, and the fact that they went in the third round and they got a kid from Murray State University to play Telvin Smith's spot, (sighs) there's a lot of red flags going on right now. Um, regarding Telvin Smith. And and I understand Tom Coughlin had a different narrative saying he's he's our linebacker, he's our guy, and I think uh, that's Tom Coughlin's job to say that. But the fact that nobody in that organization has been able to get a hold of Telvin Smith, the fact that an agent of Telvin Smith hasn't even reached out to give a courtesy to the Jacksonville Jaguars, it tells me that either something went down towards the end of the season where possibly they asked him maybe to, to restructure his deal or something else completely but something has happened, and um, I really don't know what to go from here with Telvin Smith. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting one. Again, I, we're going to get into the Telvin stuff. I'm going to give you a quick little uh, cliff notes of my thoughts on it. I think you're right. I think could it have uh, – see, I don't buy it. it has much to do with the contract. He just got paid. Now, he got paid a decent – it was a pretty good deal for the organization too, but you really don't come off last year where he had a mixed bag and start demanding stuff in your contract. Now, if he was asked to take a pay cut, maybe that created some bad vibes. That's a good one. I didn't think about the pay cut as much as I was just thinking it can't really be contract-related. He just signed this deal a little oh. more than a year ago. And that's the only thing I'm saying is because why else would he do that? You know, I mean, it's, it's so weird where you just got paid. You're, you're, you're The team voted you a captain of, you know, of the Jacksonville Jaguars and that defense. I feel like the players look up to you. And the fact that you've pretty much gone rogue, have gone off the grid, it's got to be something I feel like tied to money because why else would a player be that ticked off where they wouldn't want to get a hold of the organization unless they were talking about maybe someone taking a spot, but I don't see that happening either. So I think there's three things at play, potentially. Again, this is all speculation. Yeah. I'm telling you, usually we get a, a word or a little something, and then you still have to, we might not even share it because it's just kind of hearsay. There's not a lot on the Telvin Smith stuff. I'm going to tell you, we're... I mean, we can all speculate, make up some stuff, discuss amongst ourselves, and there's not a lot of concrete evidence of what's going on here with Telvin. Why is he? And usually by now you would have heard something. But anyway, I have three three things I think that could be at play. One is the money part of it, somewhere along the way. But I still think that it doesn't make sense to me because he just signed a big deal. But it could be asking to take a pay cut or whatever, whatever else. I think the other side of it is... If they did float some trade rumors out there for Telvin Smith, did he get pissed off about it? And did he not like that? And did the idea that they were trying to move him um, somehow create a rift with him, his side and the Jag side? I think that's business. That potential could happen. I think the last one, and I have no idea, and I don't think this would prevent him from talking to the team, and that's why I don't really, I really don't, I don't know if this fits, but is the NFL involved in something? Is the NFL from a, whatever it might be? I mean, could, could there be some kind of NFL uh, punishment or whatever for for Telvin? I, I mean, I don't know. I, that's the only thing I'm trying to run through. We're trying to run well, through all the scenarios, and it's is it a rift with the organization and, and the bosses? Is it a rift with the contract? Is there something going on with him in the NFL? Other than, other than that, I don't really know why else. I know why you would skip. I, I can make some sense out of that. I don't know why you wouldn't have these. Have contact, touch. and I also don't know why the organization would be saying when asked, and we'll play this a little bit later, would be asked when is he going to be on the team, we'll see. 
Dave Caldwell well, said, we'll see. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he'll be on the team. He's just not here right now. We wish he was here, but he's not here. That, was, that wasn't what it was said by Dave Caldwell. Now, Tom Coughlin tried to dismiss the, the questioning. But I just don't – this almost created more drama out of the Telvin Smith over the weekend than previously was even there. Exactly. And once again, from being a former player myself, I'm trying to put myself into Telvin Smith's shoes. And, I mean, it's hard because of the guys, obviously, he's a captain. You know, I was never – I mean, I was a captain for a game uh, my second year against the, ten, or against the Colts on Thursday night. But that was it. Did you but, I mean, uh, no, we got beat, but I actually had a sack. And uh, that, oh. that's when Andrew Luck called me uh, BMFer, that's which right. is cool because he never swears, but he swore to me, Brent. I like so. that. And you did your job as a captain. You led the way with a sack. I take that to the bank. But uh, getting back to Helen Smith, I'm trying to put myself in his shoes, in in his position of of what is asked of him. What would tick me off so much where I would cut off all contact? I wouldn't tell my agent to contact the organization. Just go off the grid. And the only thing I can think of is money. And when it comes to money... I feel like maybe he underperformed this past season. Uh, the Jaguars offered to maybe take some of that money away, restructure it. He got offended, and here we are now. Yeah, money or hurt feelings, right? This is all speculation, and this is oh, just me yeah. put myself in Telvin's shoes. But if I was a player and they, they touched my money like that, that's that's what I would I'd probably do the exact same thing if I was Telvin's. It's fan. becoming the biggest story of the summer now is will Telvin Smith be here in late July? What is going to happen with Telvin Smith? Now, he certainly could come sooner than that. Mandatory minicamp is June, uh, I think, 11th through the 13th. Now, that's the mandatory side. That you start getting fined for. That hurts the pocketbook. So that will be the first test. Is he there? Or does he come anytime within the next month? But is he there on Janu- uh, June 11th? Uh, I might have said January. I meant June. Yeah. Uh, and then is he there in late July? And as it sits right now, until we get more information, until people start clarifying what's going on between the Jags or Telvin Smith's camp, this is going to be a storyline that we all sit here and scratch our heads and wonder what's going to happen in 2019 with the Jags linebacker. But it does bring us back to Quincy Williams and says, wait a minute, this might be a little bit of insurance. Not that he feels like he's a ready and willing day one guy to throw in there and say, here we go, go get after him. But they might need to call on him sooner than they even thought, even when they pick him in the late third round. All right, we're going to talk to the Murray State head coach. What about Quincy Williams? Why did he go under the radar so much? What makes him a late third-round selection? And can he make it in the NFL? How much of an impact here in Jacksonville? I think his head coach knows. You set this one up. We talk to the head coach of the Murray State Racers next here on ESPN 690 about the third-round pick, linebacker, out of Murray State. Quincy Williams. Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30, Action Sports Jack. Austin Lane. He's a former Jag star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the Anajar and Levine studio. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Oh, we got a little magic whiteboard going on. What you got? Uh, I have a hard time believing that Game of Thrones isn't the best show of all time. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I am so, I'll tell you what. I am so not cool, so out of the loop oh, yeah, on the are. Game of Thrones. I mean, get it is. Get younger, Brett. You know, get younger. No, I'm not doing the Game of Thrones. I already told you, but uh, I'm too late in the process. And yeah. on top of that. Oh, yeah. Bring it in. <laughs> bring it in. We're right on time. There's I mean, nicely done. You, again, Goosebumps. we can't talk about it. Goosebumps. Right? No, we can't talk about it. Oh, so it's funny. Like, in terms of movies like Avengers, people, like, refuse to talk about that on social media. 
But when we're talking about Game of Thrones, everybody leaked what happened last night on Twitter and Facebook and whatnot. So I think TV shows are a little different. I'm not going to talk about it, though, and spoil it for somebody. Was it the as... The best part was when blank happened to somebody who can't we talk about. Exactly. Yeah, I bet. Was it as epic as people had hoped? So me and Scott kind of differ a little bit. I felt that it was lacking just a little bit. I mean, still entertaining overall, but lacked a little bit. And I think Scott thought it was pretty epic. We were both expecting a bigger body count out of it, but um, I got caught up in all the production value and stuff of it, man. That was some well-done TV. That was some really well-done TV. And this is the sad thing now, that Game of Thrones has made me so desensitized where I'm asking for more people to die in the show now. Like, that's where it's got to I was going to say, I mean, you guys got to get... Your priorities in order. Okay, you gotta bro. die. You gotta kill so many people just to make a good show. Now, what's You're your favorite TV fighter, show, Austin? Brent? I don't expect mercy from you, brother. Thank God. Yep, you better believe it too, Scott. Uh, Brent, then what's your favorite TV show? Like Cheers or Mash or something? What are you? What are you into, man? <laughs> uh, nothing right now. <laughs> okay. I honestly can say I don't even know the last TV show I sat down to watched. Okay. Lost. You see Lost? Lost is up there for me too. I like Lost a lot. I did see Lost. Uh, you know, I was big. This was a while ago now, but just along those kind of lines, I was huge. I was big when Twenty Four came out. Okay, love the Twenty Four, love mm-hmm. the Prison oh, Break, Jack Bauer for those. President, man. Yeah, I love that stuff. I didn't get into the Lost, uh, although people say Lost is right up there with See, Game of Thrones. I think right. Lost is fantastic because it's character driven. There's not really that much action, but um. You, you like with the characters in Lost is that there's no good guy or bad guy. Like you basically revolve your personality on who you like. So that's what I thought was fascinating. No, there was Hurley. Hurley was awesome. Hurley, Hurley was awesome. Yeah, Hurley was the good guy for sure. Hey, I stand corrected. Scott, I uh, don't have my phone system up here uh, because <laughs> Austin sat here last week while I was gone and messed up every computer. Sure didn't. Uh, so if Coach Stewart from Murray State calls in, or if you get him, can you let me know? We'll do. Um, <laughs> Because I just can't tell. So uh, we will have Coach calling in, I think, uh, shortly. Well, we're supposed to call him. Or we're calling him. Yes. Well, then stop talking about Game of Thrones and call him, Scott. Do, do you want me to, I was going to say, do you want me to call him? <laughs> I thought Scott was going to call now, him. Just so we set this up, when we get Coach on, uh, who's yeah. busy, he's, he's getting out of something, so hopefully yep. get him on in a few minutes. But uh, he... You didn't play under him. No, I didn't. No, but I've had interactions with him when I went back to school to graduate. Uh, and I went back to Mercy a couple times. He was there. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a guy that's taken over that program. I think he's been the head coach now, I want to say, four years, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I'm really curious to pick his brain because so he's, he, he's definitely an offensive-minded type of guy. But um, obviously, he's the guy that recruited Quincy, and I'm curious to pick his brain a little bit because from what I know about Quincy is that we have a lot of things in common because Quincy was the last guy to get a scholarship at Murray State. Really? Just like I was, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to hear the story a little bit, um, what transpired there. Uh, from what I know... You mean like the to, last available scholarship last for available that class? Scholarship. Yeah, and talking to some, some people that are you know close to the university and whatnot, I guess there was an issue uh, with test scores, I think, and that's why um, he wasn't really getting recruited a lot. And uh, Coach Stewart saw something in him and um, kind of brought him inside unseen, and the rest is history. Now he's the highest draft pick in Murray State history. Uh, oh, and, a, and a third round pick for right. the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, are you okay with that? I, I'm more than fine with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I forgot about that. I don't care. Uh, by the way, another Murray State guy oh, yeah. is coming. Yep. Marquez St- uh, Sanford, man, a corner. But Absolutely. do you know any of this? Do you watch Murray State football? Yeah. Well, so this past season, thanks to the ESPN Plus app, I, uh, I got to watch three games last year. 
So, so I mean, do you know a little bit about these guys? Yeah, you, you know, I mean, so I'm not saying the, that you go watch tape. No, I'm just exactly. saying, did they jump off the page at you? Yeah, so, and I'm going to get into it with Coach a little bit, but with Quincy, he does one thing. I mean, he does a lot of things well, obviously. He's, he's a third-round pick. But there's something that I noticed on film that stuck out to me from the moment I saw him play against Kentucky. And... uh Marquez Sanford, you know, he's, he's a corner. So, like, I'm going to be honest, I don't watch a lot of corner play because I'm a defensive lineman, so I always watch the defensive line and corner uh, and uh, and linebackers. But from what I know about Marquez, too, is that he's got that dog in him where I think that he's going to be a prime guy to go up man-on-man because man, um, he doesn't back down from anybody. But once again, we'll talk about that with Coach, hopefully, in the next couple of minutes or so. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, by the way, Mary says, I think we did very well in the draft. I particularly like trading our last pick for a pick in next year's draft, mm-hmm. uh, which is what the Jaguars did. They got a sixth rounder out of that, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, how, how much of an impact player are you going to get in round seven? They already had one pick in round seven, and so they get a sixth round pick. And you never know when you start packaging up picks where they might be able to go in future years. Uh, Jack Stan says, Jacks have a bunch of young, unproven wide receivers. Why get another young, unproven wide receiver? Got to let the kids play. And that's interesting. I, I understand that. I, I don't mind what the Jags have at wide receiver. I don't think it's an unbelievable need for them. Because because I do think they have, they would bring a guy into to Jack Stan's point that would would also have question marks, but there was obviously some room for competition at the wide receiver spot because an undrafted free agency they brought five of them in, yeah. <laughs> so they are still looking for the needle in a haystack uh, in the uh, wide receiver uh, spot. So hey, we're gonna bring in uh, Coach Mitch Stewart from Murray State right now, Scott. If you can do the honors for that, uh, welcome in on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brent Martino here. I have to introduce myself, Coach. I don't probably have to introduce yourself to uh, my co-host. That of course is Austin Lane, the great Murray State racer. There's a lot of Murray State pride in this room here today, it. especially in Jacksonville, and I bet there really is some Murray State pride where you are. You got that right. Go racing, baby. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. How, are, how have you been? I've been fantastic, man. Fantastic. Well, Coach, uh, listen, before we get to Quincy Williams and, and hopefully the, one of the next great linebackers in Jaguars franchise history, how much do they still talk about Austin Lane there on campus at Murray State? <laughs> Not much anymore with John Moran and Quincy now. <laughs> no, no. Get out of there. Hey, every time recruits come and we want my... Because we got that all-American wall up there now, so every time we walk by that wall and we see that name, we've got to tell the story about how you come in here and you were a, uh, what were you, a wide receiver, a skinny wide receiver? Yeah, yeah, so I was a wide receiver slash tight end, thought I was going to play tight end at college, and then I saw number 97 in my locker. I'm like, well, those tight end days are finally gone, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But, but Coach, I tell you, our our whole deal is is we have a mission statement. We talk about develop and developing. And uh, so we use that story all the time just because, uh, you know, we talk about what you were and what you looked like when you came in. And then when you went to your combine, and we will shoot out the numbers of your combine stats and all of that kind of stuff. So we use you quite a bit. You don't get any royalties for it, but we use you quite a bit. <laughs> I appreciate that, Coach. And, and listen, uh, and I, I told my co-host Brent here, me and Quincy, we have a lot of things in common. with the fact that when I got offered at Murray State – I was the last scholarship available. And with Quincy, yeah. it's kind of the same thing. Can you just kind of quick tell the story of how, how you kind of found that diamond in a rough where you kind of took a chance on him? Because from what I understand, yeah. he kind of had some bad test scores, was it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the, the thing about Quincy is he's kind, of, he's kind of got a soft spot in my heart because he was the last, he was the last of, quote, unquote, my guys as an assistant. Um, he was in my recruiting area. I recruited the Birmingham area. 
And um, he was the last guy that I signed before becoming the head coach here. So um, uh, the best I can remember, it, it was a funny story. It's, it's uh, So he played safety and running back in high school, and we were coming up on our last official visit. So this is the last part of January. And we had two other uh, safeties that were supposed to come in, and I'd been courting Quincy for a long time. And he just had tremendous film, but he had a low test score. So his grades weren't terrible. Uh, they weren't great, but they weren't terrible. But his, his test score was bad. So a lot of people kind of fell off of him. And, uh, but I couldn't get him approved. I was the offensive coordinator. Could not get him approved. The defensive coaches, they wanted to go on the other two safeties they had on the board. So finally, I went to Chris Hatcher, who was the head coach at the time, and I said, listen, coach, I'll take him as a running back. I'll take him as one of my spots offensively. We just need this kid here. We need him in our program. And, um, you know, and, and, and I just, I'm so happy for the, for the kid, for the young man, just because I remember that like it was yesterday. I remember his fight to get that offer. I remember my fight to get him offered and get him approved. And uh, it was so funny because last year we were in the weight room and he comes and he puts his, his arm around me. And I think this is during fall camp. And he goes, you know what? He said, coach, I just got to thinking of something. He said, besides Miss Tamara, who's our secretary. Oh, yeah, Tamara. Yeah. Who's our athletic director. You know Tamara. Oh, yeah. And Fulton, our trainer, he goes, Coach Mid, you the last one left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, since then, we've kind of said, hey, man, we the OGs. We're the original guys. <laughs> Everybody else is coming and going. That's awesome. Good stuff. Uh, Mitch Stewart with us, uh, the head coach of the Murray State Racers. Obviously, coached uh, Quincy Williams did not coach uh, Austin Lane. But uh, let's talk more about Quincy. Were you at all, and I don't mean this as a, as a knock, but the whole story around Quincy when he got drafted late third round on Friday night was, oh, who is this guy? Where, why is he getting yeah. picked in the late third round? Were were you was your camp at all surprised at how high Quincy went? Um, uh, myself, my staff, as well as Quincy and his family, I believe all of us would be lying to you if we said that they were planning their their big uh, draft party on the second day. I think even Quincy and his family were probably planning on watching the TV and planning their big draft party on the third day. Um, as a matter of fact, I was over at a, at a recruiting um, showcase, a Western Kentucky recruiting showcase, and uh, we had done the, the showcase part and then had gone to a little country club. We were doing a coaches social with some of the Western Kentucky high school coaches, and we were watching the draft. And literally, this is no lie. I could not make this up. I leave. I'm in the car. Hadn't been in the car seven minutes. My wife calls me in hysterics. Have you seen our boy, Quincy? You know, and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm going, and, you know, it's my wife. I'm sitting there going, she's got to be out of her mind. What is she talking about? Third round. And all of a sudden, my phone just starts blowing up. And I called Quincy. I could not hear him. You know, his family's yelling in the background and screaming and crying and so I, I you know I sat on the phone with him for probably 45 seconds yeah. um, and then let him get back to celebrating but I would I would be lying to you if I said uh, third round was in my mind I think anybody in Austin you may be able to attest to this uh, to this I think everybody at this level this this level uh, it, there's usually a wide span of, of where these guys can go. Of you know, course. you talk to the scouts and they go, hey, man, he could go anywhere from the fourth round to free agency. And I think that's kind of how FCS ball is. You just never know. Yeah. Um, but third round, um, 
although I personally think he deserves it. Um, I'm, I'm biased to him, and I think that he's going to show Jacksonville that he does deserve that pick. I'd be lying to you if I said I was planning on it. Coach, you know, I'm, uh, I watched a couple games of you guys last year, and to me, the one thing out of – I mean, granted, Quincy has a lot of – intangibles you know i mean he's he's a a third round pick for a reason but the one thing that pops out on film with quincy is the fact that he doesn't uh shy away from the contact he almost embraces it and and but by that i mean if you watch a linebacker if you watch a safety a corner or even somebody like maybe run down on kickoff two things either happen usually either that that player is going to hesitate just a split second and you you may not see it all the time but if you slow down a film you're going to watch a guy hesitate or the guy's going to run through somebody and with quincy i've never seen him hesitate i've always seen him run through somebody what does he bring to you uh what, what, what did he bring to your defense and um is that one of the things that you saw in him as well that's the biggest thing uh and it's been like that since high school he has what we call um, we always termed it when we were talking to, to all the scouts. We, we would always say, man, he's got old-school contact courage. Yeah. Um, and what we meant by that was, you know, the game of football is you, you ask people to do something that's not normal to the human body. You're asking them to, you know, you always talk about, hey, speed your feet up on contact. Well, that's just not the, that's not the normal reaction. Most of the time when you're going to get hit by something, you duck you dodge, you're, you shy away from it, you try to move away from it, and in football you're constantly trying to get people, hey, to go through it, right? Run your feet on contact, explode your hips. And he's probably the best I've ever, not probably, he's the best I've ever seen at that. There's very few times, if any, that I can remember in his, in his career, even as a young guy, that he ever got knocked back just because you weren't ever going to catch him flat-footed. He was always going to be running through you. I mean, I think that's the thing that he'll bring to the table the most is just this exciting brand of contact, this exciting flash of contact, whether it's on kickoff, whether it's on uh, the edge, on the defense, whatever the case may be. He just really, really likes to bend people's face masks. (laughs) (laughs) People love to hear that. And you know who really likes to hear that? Tom Coughlin, Doug Marone, Dave Caldwell. They raved about that part every time they talked about him. Fast and physical, fast and physical. And like like you said, really flashy kind of physical. We've seen the highlight tape since. Now it's it's kind of materialized on uh, social media. And it's uh, one heck of a tape to watch. He played some safety for you guys. Played a little bit uh, linebacker and safety. But he's not a safety in the NFL, right? I mean, he's a weak side linebacker in the NFL. Yes, sir. Every day of the week, I, you know, that's probably, um, to be honest with you, that's probably what hurt him um, from a, from a college career standpoint was uh, out of necessity. Um, you know, out of necessity, it wasn't malicious by any means, but out of necessity, we had to move him um, backer to safety, safety to backer. Just we get this dude hurt, you know, because at this level. It's not always the backup that goes in. It's, it's the next best person. You're trying to get the, the best 11 on the field, not necessarily this position's backup. So sometimes we'd have an injury, and we'd have to move it, you know, uh, back and forth. Uh, I will say this to his credit. Um, he can change his body faster than anybody I've ever seen in my life. What I mean by that is, you know, if he's playing safety and all of a sudden we get an injury, um, I remember this. I mean, just hey, man, we're going to have to move you down the back. It seemed like the next morning he came in and he was 10 pounds heavier. <laughs> hey, man, we're going to have to move you back to safety. seemed like the next morning he comes in and he just looks slimmer. Um, just because He just got that type of body. Um, he's a swimmer. A lot of people don't know yeah, that. He was, yeah, yeah. When I was recruiting him in high school, he was a, 
he was going to like an Olympic trial in Australia that summer um, to, to, to try to qualify for Olympic swimming. Um, and he's got a swim. He had like a 80, 81 inch wingspan or something like that at his pro day. So he's a big, long, he's not tall. He's 5'11 every day of the week, but he's got a long, long wingspan. These big old hands and big old arms. Um, and, uh, but that was the most incredible thing was just the way he was always able to change his body through all those position changes. Yeah, uh, Coach Mitch Stewart from uh, Murray State, who coached Quincy Williams, uh, proud racer uh, family. Today. We're going to get into another guy that Jaguars have on their roster now, also from Murray State, signed him as an undrafted free agent in just a bit. But I want to stay on Quincy Williams a little bit more because you brought up junior. Yeah. He was in the Junior Olympics. That's one heck of a swimmer, by the way. I mean, that's not just your average swimmer. This guy's super talented in swimming. But have you ever recruited a swimmer before <laughs> no, how uncommon no, was that, that? Was, i tell you that was my that was my first time ever experiencing that it was a cool i tell you the coolest part about it was um during the off season here we we do what we call character ed character education um every wednesday um uh, so we do you know hey how to tie tie how to cook spaghetti how to back up a trailer just different <laughs> things right odds and ends, things that you need to know to be a man and, and, and be a citizen all of those things um, and uh, last year, we had about 12 to 15 guys who didn't know how to swim. So we did uh, a how to swim, character education. So we took the boys over on a Wednesday morning. We did a pool workout with them first, uh, you know, ran, jump jacks, all that kind of stuff in, in, the, in the water. And then after that, we taught everybody kind of how to do some, you know, some basic rescue diving for the people who didn't know how to swim. And then we took the, the, the final 12 to 15 guys, left them in the pool, and Quincy actually taught them how to swim. He, you had all these, you know, I mean, call them what they're grown men hanging on the edge of the, the wall of the pool, and he's teaching them how to doggy kick, you know, how to kick with their feet, how to doggy paddle, all And it was just a cool, uh, and, and you guys, you know, when you meet this kid, that's, that's what you're going to realize about. He's just a beautiful kid, man. He's got a big, infectious smile. He's got a great personality. Um, he's just got a, a, a hunger for life. He wants to be really good. Um, he's just he's just a beautiful kid, man. That's awesome. So we're talking Quincy Williams. Obviously, he has a brother named Quinnen Williams, a, a, a big cat in his own right, win the first round of the New York Jets. And from what I was gathering, um, you know, I guess Quinnen, who's, who's the smaller brother, kind of took Quincy underneath his wing in the offseason, went to training and whatnot, uh, and stuff like that. So, like, how, how pivotal uh, was Quincy's development, especially after the season, with Quinnen being his brother and uh, kind of uh, helping him out a little bit? Well, you know, that was one thing that we talked a bunch about because Quincy was, at first, Quincy was very, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He, he really didn't want to use that resource. He was he was trying to make his own brand, right? He he, he wanted to make sure that he didn't get lumped in with his brother, um, that, 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 that what he got, he earned. And uh, we had a long conversation about um, the, the fact that he was going to get to go down there um, and train with his brother a little bit in Tuscaloosa and in other places where they were training. And I told him, I said, listen, I said, no, no, no. I said, you use that resource as much as you can. You've got it. So you use it to your advantage. I said, because make no mistake about it, Quincy. A team is not going to take you because of who your brother is. It don't work that way. This ain't, this ain't college recruiting. You don't do the, the two-for-ones anymore, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I said, that don't matter. I said, they're going to look at your tape, and either you is or you ain't. And I said, and that's going to be for you during your pro day and what they see on film. So use these resources to the best you can. But then when you get your chance, 
you got to go make that chance happen. And, and uh, so there was a lot of those conversations because uh, make no mistake about it now, if you ask Quincy, Thanksgiving living room, you know, when they get done with dinner and they get in a wrestling match, who's beating who? He's whipping Quinn and Spanny every day of the week. <laughs> That's, uh, That's awesome. Hey, quick coach, you know, they're playing us out here with music. We've got to hit the top of the hour. Marquez Stanford, uh, Sanford, excuse me. Uh, quick 10 second Scotty report. Uh, fearless. Uh, nothing will scare him. He's, he's a competitive dude, loves man coverage, um, and he fears nobody. It'll be a lot of fun to watch. And he signed as an undrafted free agent with the Jaguars. Coach, uh, let's get you on again. Mitch Stewart from Murray State, absolutely enjoyed it. And uh, they'll tell Austin Lane stories forever. we got more to do every day with Austin. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you guys so much. Go Racers. Go Racers, Coach. Appreciate it. All right, we'll be back here on ESPN 690 right after this. Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30, Action Sports Jacks. Austin Lane. He's a former Jag star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the Anna Jar and Levine studio. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Coach Mitch Stewart was fun. That was good to have him on uh, from Murray State. Oh, yeah. Racer pride all over the place uh, after the Jaguars uh, drafted Quincy Williams late in the third round. And uh, Marquez Stanford, Stanford, I want to keep saying Stanford, uh, the cornerback, uh, signed as an undrafted free agent. So add to the list of Murray State Jaguars. You better believe it and add to the list of Murray State racers that will be on this show one day, hopefully. You, um, by the way, uh, did you do Photoshop today on that? That was a nice tweet. Oh, yeah, that's a little Photoshop, man, you know. Wow, you I'm, I'm skilled. I'm, I'm starting to learn a little bit from you guys. <laughs> you won't learn Photoshop from me. <laughs> it's <laughs> worth it, I guess. It's not a chance. Yeah. Brett Martino, Austin Lane, Scott here. Uh, Coos is out for uh, the first few days of the weekend. Right now, uh, joined by special guest Christy Martin, who uh, was in town this weekend for Guns and Hoses, which was, happened Saturday night. Another uh, fantastic event for Guns and Hoses, but... Christy promoting her own card on uh, this summer, on June 14th, called the River City Rumble. We're not talking JU and UNF, different kind of River City Rumble. Yeah. This is really a rumble uh, in the in the ring, boxing event coming to Jacksonville. How are you, first of all, Christy? I'm great. Thanks for having me. No problem. And uh, you told us something that really kind of wowed us a little bit. First pro boxing event in Jacksonville in six years? That's what they tell me. It's been six years, and I, I lived in Florida for a long time, and Jacksonville at that time, back in the 90s, was popular for boxing, so I guess it's kind of waned a little bit, but um, Christy Martin Promotions, we're looking forward to bringing in a lot of local talent and really re, re, reinvigorating the taste for uh, local boxing here in, in Jacksonville. Yeah, how about from a broad standpoint, we, I think we talk about it sometimes on, on sports radio or whether it's social media. Uh, boxing in general you know where is it we uh we had uh Dante Wilder on um at the Super Bowl and he's a great champ uh flashy guy great personality but the heavyweight division we also talk about is a tough division right now in boxing overall don't get me started with that right now Brent it's <laughs> not what we're here to do Austin goes on rants uh, all the time about it but in your eyes someone who's been around it and where is boxing um, and are you just kind of hanging on? Are we hanging on to it a little bit, or are we trying to reinvigorate it so it grows into kind of what it used to be? You know, it would be great, uh, us older guys and girls, we would like to see the, the, the boxers, the fighters, the fighters from yeah. the 70s and before come back. But right now we're, we're just trying to uh, uh, re-energize, find that new boxing personality, somebody that can light the fire again and get the fans excited and bring them back to boxing. MMA has sold, sold a lot of our fans. Um, but 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 Heyman and those guys are putting together good competitive fights. 
and we're starting to see some of the fans come back. And it's the younger generation generation that we need. It's yeah, yeah. you know we need to get these young kids back into the boxing gym. Uh, so what I want to talk to you about is, and you mentioned it, it's the first pro boxing bout in six years in Jacksonville. And we're talking about some fighters before uh, we went back on live on the air here. There is a lot of talent in Jacksonville that um, that people don't know about. So can you just kind of say some of those guys and who we're expecting to see here? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We're going to have uh, some young kids make the pro debut. Randall Feliciano is one. He's from the Renaissance Gym right here right here in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andre Bird, who's actually a journeyman. You know, he's been around. He's a tough old veteran, and he's coming to, to put on a, a little shine for us here in Jacksonville. So um, Benny Aguilar from Palaka making his pro debut. That's that's the, the goal of, of what we're going to do is, is just build these young guys and have Jacksonville come up with us as we build these guys, you know, just bring boxing back. Are there uh, any on the radar, and, and maybe not I'm talking in Jacksonville, but I'm talking about in boxing, in the sport, that maybe some young kids, maybe some phenomenons uh, that, that we haven't heard of just yet that might be on the verge of helping boxing in the way you're talking about. You know, I, th- I think we're actually have, we have uh, Felix Santana Jr., who's going to be on the show June 14th over at the Armory, Maxwell Snyder Armory. Um, he's from Gainesville. A lot of talent. A lot of talent there. Uh, we have um, Jose Ocasio from Ocala. Young little guy, 118-pounder. I think he's 5-0 and now. So there's some good local talent right here that's going to be on this show. Christy, you were a, a household name back in your career, and um, you're a really well-known boxer, now a promoter. I mean, what kind of things that you know that you learned in the ring that you've applied now to being a boxing promoter? Oh, what, what, I'll <laughs> tell you what. It is so much easier to be the fighter than the promoter. Oh, that I believe. Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's so many that things. That doesn't sound right. That doesn't resonate with me. <laughs> there are just so many things that can go wrong, and it, it seems like you know what can go wrong will go wrong. Um, a lot of a lot of nuts and bolts to make the promotion work. Everybody shows up on fight night and thinks it's all you know oh, yeah. fun and games, and everybody's happy. It, you know, sometimes everybody gets paid but the promoter, and um, it, it's a hard night. It's it's. Uh, but I've learned how to deal with fighters, and and that everybody has a personality. And the week of the fight, everybody wants to pull out because they're not getting this done, or they don't feel right, or they slept bad, or something. Yeah. You, you know, it's just part of being a fighter. So I, I understand that, and I get that, and just move on to the the next day. And, and, and here's, here's the follow-up question. So you said it yourself, like, you know, some guys are going to pull out or for, for reasons maybe serious or not that serious, but, you know, it's kind of the way of the game. I mean, from your perspective, from being a former fighter, like, is it hard to maintain those relationships? Because you almost have to, right? Because maybe you're going to call that guy back to fight for you again one day. So is it hard uh, to kind of look at it through, you know, not being a, professional, a former professional boxer and as just being a manager, I mean, is that kind of a hard thing to do? It is hard because <laughs> yeah. my personality is that, you know what, if, if if you don't live up to your expectation or your word once, then I'm not going to give you that second chance. Mm-hmm. So getting a second chance for me is um is difficult. You know, I think I want fighters to take take full advantage of the first opportunity that we give them and, um, and, and make the best of it. So it, it is hard to go back. And, and because you can't, if I can't trust you once, how can I trust you the second time? Yeah. Christy Martin's fight night, uh, River City Rumble, coming to Jacksonville June 14th, Maxwell Snyder Armory. And uh, as uh, Christy just mentioned, first uh, boxing event in Jacksonville in, in six years, she's been told. So doors will open. Uh, show starts at 7 o'clock uh, off Normandy Boulevard, Maxwell Snyder Armory. I asked you this uh, in, in the break, and I said, how rare is it? For a woman promoter in boxing, I, I don't think I think people, if they're listening, and I don't, I don't mean to uh, um, 
sound ignorant about the topic, but I do think people listen and said, oh, that's a women's voice boxing promoter. I didn't associate the two. You guys said it's not as rare as, as I might think, huh? There's a few women promoters, um, but I, I think it, for me, being a professional fighter, it just it just segues into this this next career and that being a promoter. So for me, it's, it just seems like this is the normal route that I should take. And has it worked out well? I mean, you enjoy it? I, I love it. I love the sport. Um, it's a tough business. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a tough business. But I love the sport, and I, I would love to see someone else live the dream that I got to live and to fight on those big cards and fight at Madison Square Garden, go to Las Vegas. I would to share that with someone else will be a great feeling, and and I will find that champion. And we talked we talk about boxing in the future, but what about on the women's side? Because we do see the women in MMA as well. Um, how is uh, boxing in general now feels like it's hurting? But how about uh, from a female perspective? I think women's boxing is um, it's shallow. The 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 pool of women fighters is just very shallow. So. You know, with the weight despairs, you, you might have a really good 168, and then, you know, the next really good one is 135. So yeah, they're not, yeah. there's too much weight difference to, to make the fight happen. And uh, another thing, too, so, like, I mean, you had the, you know, you had the experience to fight on a Mike Tyson card, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it seemed like back then, I mean, I don't want to say women's fights were more of like a, like a sideshow, because, I mean, there were some talented boxers there, but it seems like there are more skilled women these days than there was back then, but do you think, are you kind of surprised at the progression that it's not more than it, than it should be right now? I think women's boxing should have progressed further than it has. Yeah. But the one good thing about um, now women are able to fight in the amateurs. When I was young, you know, women didn't box in the amateurs. Not that I wanted to. I never thought that I was going to grow up to be a professional fighter. Um, but even with the Olympics, I mean, that's great exposure. And that's a great dream for somebody to say, wow, you know, if so-and-so can do that, so can I. How much do you, uh, do people see you, look at you? Uh, I'm sure in your world they know who you are. But how much do you have to share your story? I mean, you just said you never imagined growing up. How did you even get into it? I mean, what was the what was the change that, that got you um, into where you were as a boxer? My degree is actually in education. <laughs> and while I was in college, um, I thought I would enter this tough man contest. And, of course, fighting women. Um, and just got hooked on the sport. Uh, then a professional promoter called me to come fight his girl in Tennessee. Not knowing how boxing works, I didn't realize I was being set up. Uh, went down, knocked her down, beat the crap out of her, and it was a draw. So I was like, ah, wow. You know, that was one of my first lessons in boxing. Um, but I couldn't put on a draw, so I had a rematch with her the next month and knocked her out. And it just started from there. And you kind of fell in love with just it. Just fell in love with the sport. That's uh, that's pretty good stuff. All right, where, um, how hopeful are I know you're you're a big advocate for it. How hopeful that events like this one on, on June 14th, Maxwell Snyder Armory, uh, boxing back in Jacksonville that you guys can create enough momentum, enough future stars to, as we talk to you in three years, five years, it's uh, it's coming back. I don't want to say it's back. It's everywhere it was. I, I don't know if that's the case, but is there a confidence in, in your your boxing world that believes we can still do this? Yes, we have to. Um, boxing is, you know, was probably the oldest sport out there. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we have to, uh, we just have to find some guys and, and, and get exposure, get them great exposure. And this is the way it starts, in your in your local area. Yeah. Get, the, get your city, your town behind you, and then you just grow. Get your state behind you, then you get your region. You know, it just you just grow. And uh, how much has, like, the world of social media helped you now? Because back when you fought, I mean, there wasn't Twitter, there wasn't YouTube, there wasn't Facebook. I mean, all you had was, you know, television and then the radio. I mean, nowadays I feel like you have a lot more tools at your disposal. Do you take advantage of everything like that? You know, social media is good and bad. Yeah. And um, the bad part of it is these young guys think they need to post everything they do on it, <laughs> which, which means everything they do at the gym, they want to post it. They want to post their sparring. They want to post, you know, their training. 
you can't share that stuff with your opponent. Yeah, there's no you secrets know? then. Because they decide, everybody, the first thing they do is Facebook you or, yeah. you know, whatever, to find YouTube, yeah. to find information to see how you fight your style. So it's much harder to make matchups now than it was 20 years ago. And it, it's crazy that you bring that up because, with especially with YouTube now, it's kind of a catch-22 because you can find your opponent so right. easier. But at the same time, I'm sure you can probably learn a lot more things as well, you know, whether it's watching pro boxers and whatnot. I mean, there's an unlimited amount of footage out there to learn from. So it is kind of a catch-22. It's a bit, you can win it. You can win from it and lose oh, yeah, from it, depending exactly. on which side of the fence you're on. Yeah. All right, the events: Christy Martin's fight night, uh, River City Rumble, June 14, 2019. That's this summer. Maxwell Snyder Armory uh, off Normandy there, and uh, hopefully uh, it'll be a, a fun show when people can get out there. Any other information to pass along on how people can uh, get involved or, or get tickets? You can get tickets from the Renaissance Boxing Gym or Eventbrite.com. Simple as that. Eventbrite.com, Renaissance Boxing Gym, Fight Night, uh, coming to Jacksonville once again, uh, the River City Rumble. Thanks for stopping by. Good luck with it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, uh, we'll talk a little bit more football. The person that stole the NFL draft, coming up next on ESPN 690. here in the commercial break. Oh, yeah. The coal miner's daughter, man. It was cool to, cool to finally meet her. Yeah, you knew uh, you knew all about her. You yeah. did your homework. Yeah. You didn't even need to do I know. Homework. Yeah, my homework, you literally said she's coming in the studio, and two minutes later, she's here. So yeah. I had no chance to do homework, but yeah, it was definitely cool to meet her. Uh, catching fists, catching facts. Yep, exactly. She was uh, badass in the ring. She was badass in the you ring. You just said we were just trying to go over maybe the best female boxers of all time. Yeah, so with Christy Martin, I definitely enjoyed watching her because she she never quit. Um, you know, she reminded me like a Arturo Gotti where, you know, she'd take some damage, but she'd give out a lot more. Yeah. You know, so like every Christy Martin fight probably had some blood involved and things like that, but she's but definitely up big there, Big time man. entertainment value. She's definitely up there. She definitely put female boxing on, on the map. I mean, I think it's her, Layla Ali, and then one of my personal favorites is Ann Wolf because Ann Wolf absolutely scares me. You know, like it, it, if we had, like Christy Martin was a, was a joy to have in here and she was respectful and nice and not to say Ann Wolf's not a, respectful, but uh, she's got a history, dude, especially as a boxing trainer or she's a she's a bad chick you don't want to mess with her so yeah <laughs> what do you you worry uh i sense a little un, uncomfortableness in here uh mma and boxing um yeah it, it, i mean it is a rival i, I was kidding by the way i don't think well, it's uncomfortable but yeah the idea that mma has risen boxing has certainly fallen and i think the perception is mma has taken away from boxing Though my view on it is, and I'm not sure if I'm right, would be boxing might be where it's at with or without MMA. Yeah, it so, seemed like it was falling. You don't have very star. You don't have stars. I mean, well, would you would you have gone to boxing? Uh, no. So you, uh, MMA this, didn't this, exist. This is so hard. Yeah, I would probably go to boxing if MMA didn't exist. So like you would have ended your football career. Yeah. And maybe said, hey, I'm going to go box. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so you would. Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, then maybe uh, yeah. Bad, so then I'm probably wrong but, about but that. No, maybe but more so, people so here's would. the thing, though, Brent. And there's a misconception that, that boxing is dying. And I say it all the time. The heavyweight division's dead. And um, yes, but it's still making money. It makes money. Like, if, if you have the opportunity to be a world-class boxer or a world-class MMA fighter, you're picking boxing because they're making so much more money than MMA fighters are. And then that's just the way of it. Now, I think from a... 
from uh, just like a general public perception, especially with like, you know, maybe amateur trainers or just guys that want to go in the gym and move around. I mean, I think that's where MMA comes in because you do a lot more things. And Chris even said it herself, you know, like with, with the rise of MMA now, um, boxing has kind of taken a backseat to maybe the casual fan, especially with ES, uh, especially with like MMA being on ESPN now. So from that perspective, um, Maybe MMA has risen a little bit, but there, there's always going to be boxing. And like, in, as far as female boxing is concerned, you know, there's Chris Shields. Uh, there's a girl by the name of Michaela Mayer who fought on an Olympic team. Um, I think she's sponsored by Under Armour now. She's starting to make a name for herself with top-ranked boxing. So there are a few more female fighters, but Christy hit it right in the head where, you know, from when Christy fought to now... Uh, there hasn't been a lot of growth, yeah. as opposed to MMA, where you had your Ronda Rousey, your Holly Holmes, your Amanda Nunez's, your Chris Cyborgs. I mean, there's a lot of household names now with, with you know, female MMA fighters, but in terms of boxing, not so much. Yeah, it cer- certainly feels like in just short time, mm-hmm. female MMA stars are stars. Yeah, I mean, out of nowhere. I right? mean, you can name, you just rattled off four or five where yeah. it was hard to find four female boxers that you like, that come top to mind, mm-hmm. top of mind, and that's going back some ways. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting when it comes to that, although I do think boxing has to be a little careful to, or, or maybe they already have, but boxing has to be a little careful to just blame MMA for it because I think it's no. a lot of self-inflicted wounds blame why is boxing is, is where it's at. Boxing needs to blame themselves because... The beauty with MMA, and especially we're talking about the UFC here, the beauty with UFC is that the top fighters are always going to fight the top fighters. The, the day boxing died is when the promoters got too greedy, started their own promotions, and all of a sudden it's more about making money than it is fighting the best of the best. Yeah. And when you and do that's that, what's happening in the heavyweight and, and, right now. And, and when you do that, you take away from the entertainment uh, standpoint, you take away from the household names, and uh, the audience isn't interested anymore, especially the casual fan. Yeah, like, like a fan like me, I'm always going to watch. But I'm talking the casual fan that wants to see the best fights, they're the ones that aren't going to give you the money. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and like you said, though, it's crazy how much money still can be in there for the elite yeah. boxers. Oh, yeah. Even though it feels like few people are talking about boxing or raving about boxing. Exactly. Uh, especially now with uh, Mayweather out of it. All right, let's get back to the football talk. Uh, maybe a little balling and falling. Let's you get have it, it ready? Uh, I can chalk it up here real quick. Well, I got you, it I'll go first because okay. the guy that stole the NFL draft weekend was not Commissioner Roger Goodell. Okay. It Josh was Scobie? It was not Josh Scobie. <laughs> but but he, he did find the problem to Josh Scobie. Jo- well, and he, he had to go up there twice, he by did. the way. Yeah. He did a good job. And, and he got Murray a State, skill position guy. Well, and, and he got and, your and, Murray, Murray State, State guy. sounded good coming out of Josh's mouth. So yeah. thank you, Josh Scobie. Duvall in there. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't uh, any of the teams. It was another special teams guy. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Former Indianapolis Colt, Pat McAfee. Yes. You've got to listen to this whole thing. If you haven't heard it yet, he was balling on that stage on Friday. Please welcome from uh, West McAfee. Virginia University, oh, 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 2014 Colts Man of the Year and two-time Pro Bowl. He's Man of America, not Man of the Year. He's Man Hello, of America. Hello, Nashville. I'm not going to say a single word about the Tennessee Titans record against Uh-oh. the Indianapolis oh, Colts. Boy. Because I was a punter, and there's no reason for me to talk about that. With that being said, we did not punt much against the Tennessee Titans, so you probably have no clue who I am to begin. (laughs) Two years ago, when I retired from the Colts, I retired alongside two greats, Robert Mathis and Joe Wrights. A couple months later, I watched the draft. 
Robert Mathis announced the pick. Joe Wrights announced the pick. And then an orangutan announced the fourth round draft pick. I was replaced by a zoo animal. I was not upset about it because the orangutan was terrible at his job. With that being said, the Indianapolis Colts are the hottest team, not only in the AFC South, but the entire NFL. A young nucleus surrounding the Stanford nerd, Andrew Luck. Two old pros were drafted last year, 10 this year. And with the 89th pick of the 2019 NFL Draft, the Indianapolis Colts, Jim Irsay and Chris Ballard select future Hall of Famer, nice. linebacker from Stanford, Bobby O'Kariki. O'Kariki. Pat McAfee, everybody. I mean, that's 10 out of 10 right there. Get him on Monday Night Football. Yeah, he would be pretty I'm good. serious. He'd be pretty good. Get him to replace Witten. Yeah, he's he funny, dude. Yeah, th- that was awesome. And it's funny because I was going to have that be my balling, too. Oh, are you? But, I, <laughs> but since Coos is out of town, I wasn't going to, you know, bombard Scott with a bunch of requests and everything. Hey, listen, so we don't Brent miss a beat around here. So me and Brent were thinking on the same page, though. I, I appreciate that. That was good stuff. I mean, he, uh, as Nick said, I was talking to him. And Nick actually brought it up. I, I missed that somewhere along the way on Friday night. And uh, Nick was sharing. I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's great stuff. He is such a character anyway. Yeah. See, I actually feel like Scobie has a lot of that in him on social media. Oh, yeah. Like, he's yeah. fantastic on social media. Yeah. A little less on, on the microphone. Like, not that, I mean, sometimes <laughs> they would deliver. But on no the one's got McAfee, though. But McAfee, McAfee yeah. is just off the charts sometimes. Yeah. And the question is, I think, I, I bet he almost scares executives on Monday Night Football. True. Because can he reel it in? You know, yeah. or does he go over the top? Will, will there be a line that he will, can he cross the line? You over the top, to. though. I mean, you had Dennis Miller on there for a oh, season. And, well, yeah, but I think you have to give him a chance, man. I mean, well, and, listen, I like and I'm, not yeah, sure. I'm just telling you what well, might scare them. Yeah, and I'm not sure where he stands now because he signed a contract with the WWE as well, where yeah. he's a commentator. So I'm not sure how that goes into his he plans. Just did the whole but, heel turn thing there. Yeah, but I love to I love to hear him on my One other thing about Ballin probably could go along with the Colts draft, according to many experts. Mm-hmm. I think Mel Kiper and everybody else getting way too caught up in the Colts draft. I mean, it was a good draft, but they didn't even have a first round pick. They yeah. traded out of the first round. Yeah, I mean. The Jags drafted two first-round kind of talents in their top two picks. And maybe if the depth of the draft didn't look like Indianapolis, and maybe Indianapolis is good. I'm a little done with the, the, the love affair with the Colts draft, though, for a team that didn't even draft in the first round. I mean, I looked at it. It was good, I guess. But <laughs> I, I think people went over the yeah. top on how much they loved the Colts draft. They, some said clearly it was the best draft in the NFL. And, uh, maybe it was, and, and maybe it will play out that way. And Ballard's done a really nice job. I mean, he really has in two years, and they obviously drafted well last year, too. But I I, I don't know if it, we – I think we're a little over the top. Everybody's a little over the top at how good the Colts draft was, although they did get Paris Campbell, and I think that would have been a nice pick for the Jets. Yeah, I mean, they, they, got, a, they got Paris Campbell, the, you know, the – Rocky Sin. They got Rocky Sin, and then they got another outside linebacker to to, to spell out uh, Justin Houston a little bit. So, I mean, yeah, it's great. They got for the team to beat in the AFC South. Yeah, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. But, yeah, it's like you said, I mean, they haven't got on the field yet. We don't know what it's really capable of. And, and th- that's actually going to be a little rant for mine later to stay in your lane with, them, with draft glare grades. So, so do you have a ball? That. I do have a ball, and yeah. Uh, let me get back to it, please. I'm sorry. But, okay, so, yeah, so my ball, and 
uh, is going out to a guy. Um, okay. Uh, you know what? So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Alexi Hayes. Is what is going on over well, here? This, this, so this is, uh, all right. So Alexi Hayes is a softball player from Pitt. I'm trying to think if this is going to be balling or falling because I had her up here and I can't think if it's balling or falling. Maybe it's flexing. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, so the, the, over the weekend, uh, Pittsburgh softball was playing and, uh, you know, like the, the analysts or the commentators were interviewing the Pitt coach. And in the background, uh, you know, as most softball games happen, there's players behind the coach sometimes making funny faces and whatnot, you know, because it's softball, man. It's a, it's, a, it's a wholehearted good time. I mean, there's chance and there's all kinds of cool stuff going on so in the back enter a girl by the name of alexi hayes uh who holds up a sign on a dry erase board that says worm and it's like okay so you're watching this interview watching the interview well she puts down the sign and randomly holds up what seemed to be a night crawler and eats the worm uh on live television behind her coach uh, much to the chagrin of the commentators, you know, interviewing the coach. So uh, I'm not sure if that's balling, falling, or flexing, but it's something. So I have to give props out to Alexi Hayes for getting her moment. Uh, I think it was like on flexing. ES- I think it was on ESPN the Ocho. Yeah, that's unbelievable. So I did not go. see that. Yeah, how do you find this stuff sometimes? I dig deep, my Scouring. friend. I, I dig deep. Yeah. So it's, if you guys want to watch it, it's Alexi Hayes Pittsburgh softball. Uh, just type in wormy Eat a worm, and, and you should find it pretty easily. Uh, don't enter the hot dog eating contest. Let's yes. go to Survivor instead. <laughs> uh, we'll do a little fall-in when we come back. A lot more draft talk as well on the way. you got to get into the NBA for a moment or two and uh, stay in your lane. Halfway through the program on a Monday. Stay with us on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30. Action Sports Jack. Austin Lane. He's a former Jack star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the Anajar and Levine studio. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. All right, Pat McAfee was balling. The Colts were balling. Someone eating a worm was balling. <laughs> Welcome back to Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. We'll get back to the Tobin Smith stuff and more on the Jags draft. Uh, we had Murray State coach Mitch Stewart on about uh, Quincy Williams. That was a lot of fun. He was really good on Quincy Williams. So uh, talked a lot about that controversial, if you will, draft pick for the Jags. I say controversial because of where he might have been ranked, who knew him, who didn't know him. Not controversial from a uh, personality, character standpoint, just the opposite. A really good kid, they say. Uh, That was something that actually the Jaguars did. And I think all teams try to do it, so I don't think this was a direct correlation to last year. But the Jags looked like they got seven picks that were of high character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after last year's locker room, where I, I think we have to be a little careful when we talk about the locker room, and I'm, uh, I'm in danger of doing it even right now, is that it was like everybody was just a bad guy in the Jags locker room. But there was something amiss in the locker room. There was something that didn't connect, and enough that we talked about it at length last year. And it was a topic, and it continues to be a topic going into the soft season, how they get it right. And uh, this to me, at least reminded me of that once again over the weekend because every guy that they brought up there, it wasn't a checkered past. It wasn't. It was more the guys like Quincy Williams who love the game of football, going to get get after it. They probably have some pretty cool stories behind them, uh, but noticeably high character guys that they got from Josh Allen to Jawan Taylor uh, to everybody else. And and by the way, that's not to say guys can't get in trouble. You can be a high character guy coming in and somebody gets in trouble. 
but it, it it was something that at least jumped out to me. This was a high character class to say the least. And um, you know, when we're talking about character, listen, if you compare the 2017 roster to the 2018 roster, Brent, I mean, there's not that many changes. No. But but what the big difference was, and um, if you do want to take a silver lining out of a horrible 2008 season, you do it with this. When you lose football games, there starts to be a dynamic in that locker room where start, fingers start getting pointed because nobody likes to lose. You're, you're dealing with a bunch of guys with egos who have been winning their entire lives. If they weren't winning, they probably wouldn't get to the NFL. So they're used to winning. And now you throw in the losing, and it starts to snowball. Soon enough, you lose two games, and you lose three games, four games, and this starts such a snowball and snowball and snowball and snowball, and it gets worse and worse to the point where it's almost like an impending bomb getting ready to go off. And that's what happened last year. And out of that salvage, when that bomb went off, you found out what kind of guys you really had in that locker room because adversity, losing, it shows who you really have um, character-wise. And player-wise. So we knew there was problems with leadership. There was problems with character. And the Jacksonville Jaguars this past uh, draft have addressed it now. Yeah, they have. Uh, so uh, we did ball, uh, balling a moment ago. It's time for a little bit of falling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, go ahead, lead us off. So with all due respect to Pat McAfee, who was fantastic. He Josh Scobie was good. Uh, I enjoyed, I guess, Shout out to the Colts, because Reggie Wayne had a good one, too, where he's making fun of the Titans a little bit. So uh, back-to-back Colts players. but um, I like the zingers. Every, everybody else, though. Rounds two for three, talking to you. You guys are kind of falling, because a lot of it reminded me of like a of like a drunk brother, I guess, at a wedding who wants to have the microphone, and he wants to say some nice words, but kind of fumbles, and it's just yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. man, get off the stage. Yeah, that's very particular. Brett, oh, I, I'm an only child, so it's not... <laughs> <laughs> don't don't worry about me, sir. But uh, but it reminds me of that because there was a couple. I'm gonna say a couple. There was a bunch of times where guys got on that stage, and uh, I'm not sure if there was a keg backstage or what. But uh, it was cringeworthy to say the least. So I'm gonna give fall uh, into some of the other speeches that weren't McAfee or Scobie. That's an interesting take. Uh, I, I didn't watch a lot on Saturday um, of the actual. Yeah, I was watching mostly on social media, so I didn't yeah. watch a lot of the. Uh, picks even late Friday night were working, so I didn't really sit well, there and just glue to it. Yeah. But I get your point. I mean, uh, you fumble through that. That's what the beautiful well, brilliance <laughs> about. The, the unappreciated part about McAfee is how well he delivered that. Like, oh, yeah. It was Timing obviously was crafted, mm-hmm. but he didn't even stumble. He actually he referenced the, the index card to get the pronunciation of the name perfectly yeah. with good pacing. I mean, the guy's got a real talent. So here's the problem that I had. It was like a lot of the trends was like, I remember the, a Packer guy. I forgot who the Packer guy even was, but he's like, all right, well, let's do the easiest chant in the NFL. Let's get a go, Pack, go, everybody. Well, there's 32 teams being represented there. Only one of those teams is going to go say, go, Pack, go, and the rest are going to boo. <laughs> so it, it always just comes off like you're screwing up because there's 31 teams that don't like you. Yeah. you know? So you, you have to kind of choose what you're going to say. All right, uh, my fallen is is myself. I got to share this story. <laughs> yes, uh, I did. Marcel Robinson on Friday. It's, uh, I'm going to rotate through Action Sports Jacks people. <laughs> I can't wait to um, get to hear about it. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about mine. So after the draft on Friday night, I drove up to Savannah because uh, uh, Ty had a game uh, or a tournament this weekend up there. So I was like, yeah, all right, I'll watch the draft from up there and, and do whatever, and um, drove up late. So you know, it was around twelve fifteen, twelve thirty when I'm heading up, and Easy drive, just a couple hours uh, up to Savannah. I needed some gas after I got through Georgia, about 
I would say, decent half hour into Georgia and uh, get some gas. I take a left off the exit um, to get that and some coffee. So then I get back and I jump right back on the highway. And I'm kind of just cruising along and I'm not really paying, like, I, I'm paying attention to the road. But I'm not really like, you know, sometimes you're driving, you'll be like observing all the stuff and exit signs and everything else. And I mean, I knew I had a while to go. So I was actually just listening to music and driving. Well, all of a sudden, I see, welcome to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I had driven. Oh, man. Now, meanwhile, I don't know where I stopped in Georgia. So I don't even know what exit I got off. Like, I can't even remember the number. in the twilight zone. Yeah. yeah. So I have to, like, turn around. I mean, by the time I could turn around, I think it was, like, Pecan Park Road. So I, And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I know I have driven quite a bit because it's, like, 1.50 in the morning. 145, 150 in the morning. So, but I really don't know how long I drove without even realizing. And so, so I drove all the way back. By the time I figured it out, it was 35 minutes. I drove 35 minutes back to Florida on 95 South. So <laughs> instead of 95 take us there. So, so take us there. The minute, the second that you realize <laughs> what you've done. I mean, was it an expletive that came to mind, or what was it? Or was it just like, yeah, oh, it was just yes, it was a more anger than anything. But, I, you know, I, I actually caught myself, because for whatever reason, I was wide awake. And I was like, yeah, my gosh, you are such a moron, <laughs> you know? And I was, because in other times where I catch myself being such a moron, like, I will be crazy swearing, I can't believe I just did that moment, you yeah, know, yeah. hitting the steering wheel kind of thing, yep. and I didn't do that, so I must have been like, I just was awake, and it didn't really matter, I was like, you're oh, so, you're so, over so, it. so now yeah. it's cost me an hour, and it's going to cost me an hour of sleep, because we got to get up pretty early in the morning for the game, Yeah. and then, by the way, this isn't part of the falling, but it's one of those deals, like, so the kids, Steph and the kids are sleeping, Hall of Famer Steph, and the kids <laughs> are in the, the hotel room, and so, uh, she told me what hotel room they are in, yep. and it's 3.30 in the morning. So, I don't have a key, obviously. Uh, and but so I usually I, I've done this before, where if I don't have a key, I just text Steph and I text her. I have to text her like four or five times, and she'll wake up. But it's three thirty in the morning, Brent. But it's three thirty in the morning, and so I'm texting, texting nothing. So then I call. I literally called her ten times. I text the kids on there because they have like Wi-Fi on their little iPod yeah. things that, that I'm hoping will go off. I'm thinking Steph's is either dead or it's on silent. I actually call the hotel and have them call the room. Brent, why didn't you just go to the concierge and get a, a spare key made? Oh, because I was already up there, and, and that was almost like a, a battle. I was, Simple as that. But I didn't think, I didn't know if they would give me it. Oh, they're going to give you a key. At, at that time but of the morning. It's called concierge for a reason. They help you out, sir. I know. But so uh, I figured Colin would, well, I literally I don't sat know. outside If he walks into your place minutes. at 3.30 in the morning and asks for a key. I don't know. I mean, yeah. just, just to show me right, do you say your last name is Martin? No, it's on the bill. I mean, I mean, it would have been on there, so yeah. I probably should have been able to do it. Yeah. But at this time, I was like, I want to see how long this is going to take. Mm -hmm. I just kept ringing the phone and ringing and ringing and ringing. But you can't knock too loudly because it's 3.30 in the morning, so I'm kind of I'm wiggling the door handle. Yeah. Well, it took it took like 12, 15 minutes for okay. the to answer the door. So I guess this is another moment. Take back to that moment, and your wife comes to the door. How angry is she as, as she at you right now for uh, pounding on the door at three thirty in the morning? Nah, she was fine. 
She knew. Uh, then you, well, well, at least it was the right door. Because my wife well, would have that's, lost that's it. That's actually what went through. I checked my phone like all these times. I'm like, it had to be this room number. Like she told me this room number, and then when I did call downstairs, they said they actually made me get the room number and then give my address and all that stuff. So I yeah. at least checked in. They did it the right way, but uh, it was an interesting experience driving to Savannah. Savannah's a great like place it. too. <laughs> yeah. How was your phone? Uh, well, I was gonna. My only time I've been to Savannah, I had to pick up a friend from jail. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was literally a friend that I've, I've known for like four weeks. So, I'll t- quick tell the story. Uh, I'm not gonna name any names, but I get a phone call from uh, from a bail bondsman at about eight o'clock in the morning. Wakes me up, and he goes, "We have your friend here uh, in Savannah." I'm like, and I'm I'm new to Jacksonville. This is my first year in Jacksonville. I'm like. Savannah, I'm like Savannah. We're in we're in Jacksonville, Savannah. He's like, oh no, it's Savannah, Georgia. I'm like, oh sweet. So I have to drive to Georgia three hours to get my friend who was sitting at a Waffle House, like you know, with a sad look on his face, eating some breakfast with some inmates. Once again, not gonna say who that was, but uh, he knows who it is and he listens to the show all the time. By the way, if you only knew time I've ever been to Savannah. So you knew this person for four weeks and they they used the phone call to call you? Yeah, they really did. Well. Because all the other friends weren't answering, and I'm too nice of a guy, I guess. So, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like I was his first call. Yeah, yeah. But, but you were uh, on the list. I was about, like, sixth or seventh on the depth chart, and I had to come through for him. That's outstanding. And yeah. uh, that's the only time you've been to Savannah. you got to go back. It's I've been cool through place. there. You know, but I've never oh, actually go been. stop. It's a good place. Yeah. Savannah's yeah. a pretty good place. Yeah. Well, we had lunch there yesterday. All right. Uh, when we come back, did you do Fallen? Yeah, it was the the, the, the other speeches at the NFL draft. Oh, yeah, draft. you did. Yep. Sorry. Oh, good. Uh, I remember that now. So, so I wasn't memorable for you. Yeah. I'll try better tomorrow. Uh, I was so locked in on my own story. <laughs> I kind of forgot about yours. Uh, when we come back, uh, let's talk more about Telvin Smith. Um, that situation, we'll hear from Dave Caldwell and why it's so muddied up. And we'll also have a, mo- a lot more draft talk coming up. And stay in your lane on ESPN 690. Hi, this is Grayson Marshall Jr., 2016 ACC legend, and you're listening to ESPN 690. How about Josh Rosen? He handled that situation well, didn't he? By the way, he goes to Larry Fitzgerald's softball tournament charity event, wins the home run derby, wins the MVP, gets a uh, standing ovation, delivers a nice message on social media to Arizona. Now he's off to Miami. Uh, he handled that as good as you can handle it. I, whatever they say about Rosen, however this whole thing went down, he comes out looking really good. And uh, I still think Arizona didn't look great in the whole situation, mainly because of how they tweeted their support for him months ago, which they probably should not have done. Uh, that was a little misleading in, in, in that situation. But good on Rosen for the way he handled it. And I think that, you know, if Larry Fitzgerald comes out and says really nice things about you, you're probably a pretty decent guy. No. And Larry I, Fitzgerald did that. Pretty good sense of character. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And now I think that... that Puts him in a good light going even into Miami with guys that he doesn't know. So I think he's off to a good start down there in South Florida. Let me ask you this. What did you think of Steve Smith's comments about yeah. Josh Rosen? Okay, and I'm glad you brought that up. This almost was going to be my pump my brakes, but uh, I figured we'd talk about it. Yeah, know? I almost tweeted uh, something out, and I was like, this isn't going to work on Twitter too well. Uh, but here's the what I... I don't mind the idea of what Steve Smith said in terms of the competition part. Like, hey, don't be afraid to compete. Don't be this... First, first of all, Steve Smith, if you missed it, he basically ripped Josh Rosen. And why he ripped Josh Rosen was essentially for unfollowing Arizona on Instagram, I think it was, once Kyler Murray got picked. Mm-hmm. And why? Well, in my opinion, Rosen knew 
the writing was on the wall and he was gone. So if if that's the worst he did in all of this was <laughs> unfollow the team on Instagram, I mean, settle down. And Steve Smith went crazy on the topic. Went talked about competition. Yeah, it was, a, it was a little over the top for the situation that presented itself, especially with no real admittance that Arizona looked bad in these last few months on this whole topic, too. So I think uh, my thought on Steve Smith, though, and I, what I almost tweeted was, hey, Steve, if when you got drafted by the Carolina Panthers and you want, and there was a one receiver position in the NFL, not three, not four, not two wide receiver sets, one. If in the sport of football you used one wide receiver and you got drafted by Carolina and you're this smaller guy, an underdog guy, and you got a big chip on your shoulder and you get that starting job and maybe halfway into that, that first year, and then the next year with that one receiver spot, the Carolina Panthers take Calvin Johnson mm-hmm. or Julio Jones. I would love knowing what how I not necessarily know Steve Smith, but knowing what we know of Steve Smith and that chip and that that attitude sometimes, which makes him fun to listen to too, um, and it was fun to watch. I would only love to hear what Steve Smith would have said about the organization. So he's not comparing apples to apples. Guys that compete for running back jobs, offensive line jobs, wide receiver jobs, all those kind of positions. There are multiple positions most of the time to compete for or multiple snaps and playing time. The quarterback and the kicker are the two spots that only one guy takes everything for. And that's it. So I thought that was a little much from Steve Smith. Again, I'm not a I'm not I don't mind his thought about competing. Go ahead and compete and go be. That's fine. But again, we're talking about a franchise that this guy was a top 10 pick. They did not help him out last year. Look good. Mm -hmm. It's not like they put him in a position where he has a great team around him and they said, hey, come in and win games. And he looked awful. They were putrid. They were terrible on offense. They were terrible on the offensive line. They did not put Rosen in a good spot at all. So, of course, the kid failed. We still don't know if he's any good. I mean, he might be terrible, but he we might be great, and we just don't know. I, I thought it was a bit out of line by Steve Smith, and I, I, I thought this whole thing from Rosen this weekend on how he handled it was almost his direct response at that tirade from Smith. Yeah, Steve Smith's a guy that I respect a lot as a, as a football player, the way he played, you know, kind of being a shorter guy, always having a chip on his shoulder. I respect him from that standpoint. I also respect him as an analyst. You know, I think he provides an in-depth insight of the wide receiver position. I think he's got a, you know, a school of hard knocks mentality, um, and, and I respect that as well because I'm kind of an old-school football guy myself. But I thought he was completely in the wrong in, in the way that he handled with Josh Rosen there. Um, you know, saying he's Josh Rosen's taking his ball and going home. He's a crybaby. Um, he should step his ass up, or you know, just to quote, make some quotes and whatnot. And listen, Steve Smith requested a trade a long time ago from the uh, from the Carolina Panthers because he felt disrespected. Okay, at the wide receiver position, and the fact that you're going to say, well, he should stick it out and you know earn that starting spot. I got a newsflash for you. The Arizona Cardinals didn't draft Kyler Murray with the number one overall pick to be a backup to Josh Rosen. Okay, Kyler Murray's coming in and playing right away, whether you like it or not, because that's business, that's politics, that's the name of the NFL. So I thought Steve Smith was just kind of out of line a little bit, and I loved how Josh Rosen handled himself. So what? So so the guy unfollows his former team on Twitter or on Instagram? Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Is, is is this what it's come to now? He wasn't yet as the former team, but he was about to be. Oh well, yeah. Like, 
is, is this what it's and by, oh, but, hey, as far as we know they'd already told his agent everything we're gonna move you yeah you know what i mean yeah um Just, so wasn't the time or place yeah, for that. Yeah, it's good to bring up that because I kind of forgot about the Steve Smith part, uh, but the Rosen part this weekend uh, turned out pretty good, too. Hey, what about Telvin Smith? How's this going to turn out? Uh, Dave Caldwell over the weekend had this response when asked about Telvin Smith, and listen closely to it. Uh, we'll, we'll address that. We'll see. we got time. Uh, like we said, and then Coach Marone said, these are all voluntary situations, so we'll, we'll see what happens and um, start a dialogue there. Do you, do you expect to be part of your team? We'll see. I don't, I, like I said, I don't want to go into a hypothetical situation. i got to find out some more information there. So what kind of information do we have to find out about Telvin Smith? And the quote we'll see is very interesting. Now, Tom Coughlin uh, that same day was asked about Telvin Smith. And he said, what kind of questions about Telvin Smith? He's, Telvin's on the Telvin's roster. somebody basically, yeah. too, the way he said it. But he basically was saying, I don't know what you're talking about. And now, I think a little bit of that from Coffin was maybe, I'm not going to say anything more. I've already said something about this issue. Uh, but Dave Caldwell answered it differently. And it certainly opened up the story of what's going on here. Uh, we'll revisit what we said earlier in the show, but also want to ask the question. Will he be here for mandatory minicamp when you can get fined for missing? Will Telvin Smith be here for training camp in 2019 at the end of July? What's your gut tell you about Telvin Smith and the Jacksonville Jaguars? Let's talk about it next on ESPN. 690 Action Sports Jacks rolls on. Glad to have you along on a Monday. Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30. Action Sports Jack. Austin Lane. He's a former Jag star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the Anna Jar and Levine studio. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN 690.com. The Jaguars draft went well. It's almost football season, it feels like. Or maybe we just take a break. But OTAs are coming up. Rookie mini camps coming up. Mandatory mini camp coming up. Training camp at the end of July. And then here we are. Just really a few short months away now uh, from training camp and the start of the football season. Will Telvin Smith be there uh, for the start of training camp? I think is now a, a curiosity uh, on many levels. Uh, downplayed a little bit by Tom Coughlin over the weekend. Uh, but certainly the words of Dave Caldwell opened the door to wonder and question uh, exactly what I just said about Telvin Smith. So uh, we'll get on the Telvin Smith thought in just a moment. Do you think he'll be here for mandatory minicamp? And really, more importantly, do you think he'll be here at the start of training camp with the Jaguars, uh, Telvin Smith and the Jags situation? But before we do that, it is 5 o'clock on a Monday. Maybe add a little Vita de Louis over the weekend. It's happy hour horn time. Own tequila right here in Jacksonville, Vida de Louis. Made in Tequila, Mexico, shipped directly to Jack's Beach for locations, recipes, and merchandise. Visit VidaDeLouis.com. Leave your troubles ashore. Live the island life with the citrus of the sea. Vida de Louis tequila. Grab a drink, get a shot, and tip your star tenders. Oh, very nice. Ladies and gentlemen. Subtle. Yeah. 
like yeah. a long weekend. Well, yeah, it is a Monday. And if that's you're... a little different since the last time I was here. Yeah, what, what, which, oh, one, which one were you a part of? <laughs> oh, no, yeah. is he talking about the song or just me saying that? That song, the song. Oh, yeah, no, the, the song. song's a little different, but depending on which one you've been here for Austin to do, uh, it probably was different, Austin's too. Austin's been laid back and smooth the whole time. I'm That's right. Nothing that. changing on every, that. Every once in a while, I'm going to throw in a, you know, maybe like a character or an ESPN analyst with yeah. a high voice. I've, I've been known to uh, crush in pretty Kuiper. Tim Curtin. Yeah, <laughs> I have some pretty high range in terms of uh, character acting, so. Uh, you've done a pretty good job out. with it. Now, and I wonder where you're going next. Oh, man. Just wait. I can't wait. I have some plans. I have, I have some tricks up these <laughs> sleeves that I'm not wearing right now. But All right. You've been on the player side of this. And uh, I, I want to, if the organization hasn't heard from Telvin Smith, if there's something amiss, and I, I'll just go back and reiterate what I said at the top of the show or, or near the top of the show, and that is I think there are three potential things happening here. One, it is dollars related, whether I thought you brought up a good point. I didn't even think about it, this part of it. They asked him to take a pay cut, or he didn't get as much of a contract as he wanted initially, and, and now guys are getting paid more, and he doesn't like that contract. I, I don't believe that. I'm just saying, could that be a part of it? Could there be a rift because the Jaguars maybe tried to put him on the trading block? Uh, there's been rumors about it. Did he not like it? Did his camp and 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 now the Jags brass have a little bit of a, a rift between the two because of potentially shopping Telvin Smith? Again, these are all hypotheticals. And my last hypothetical on why something is amiss in this Telvin Smith Jaguars uh, situation is: is it something to do with the NFL? Uh, which that would be a bad thing because if it's something to do with the NFL and the NFL comes down, that usually means uh, there's potential for suspension or or whatever. Uh, so we have no idea. But is there something up? Why not? Not again. The big deal here, and I've seen a little bit of this. Why are we making this a big deal about Tone Smith? Well, it's not because he's missing offseason condition. It's the lack of contact with the organization. And that combined with some of the words when asked about it over the weekend with the Jags brass have now prompted more and more questions, in my opinion. So uh, if you're a player in that locker room do players reach out to a guy like Kelvin Smith are they in communication with him um, would you even care to do that does it have to be a good buddy of yours does it have to be someone you uh, share the team room with because of your position group how does that work do you think from uh, other players in the locker room and their curiosity about number 50 yeah you know if it was one of my former teammates I definitely would have reached out to him. I understand everyone's different, has their different personalities, but I think at this point, um, especially with what's transpired uh, the past month or so, I think that they have reached out to him. And I think maybe he's offered his teammates some kind of clarification of exactly what is going on because this is this is completely eerie, and I've mentioned it before. I mean, I've, I've met Telvin a couple times, and um, two things I'll say about Telvin that you can't deny is that he's a passionate individual, and I think that he loves the game of football and he loves the Jacksonville Jaguars. So for him, just to, like I said before, go off the grid. And listen, 
there's this, so they, I think they still call them this. They call them dead periods, right? Where a coach can cannot contact a player during the off season. Uh, during those open periods, usually it's not unheard of for a, a position coach to just, you know, kind of call and catch up on you. Like, for instance, I mean, all my position coaches, you know, on different teams during the offseason, they'd always call me and just be like, hey, how's everything going? You healthy? Have you been working out? Stuff like that. I mean, usually that's a, that's a pretty common thing. That's the status quo to do. So the fact that, and this is what the bottom getting, that nobody has talked to Telvin Smith since the end of the season, um, and the fact that his agent or whoever is, you know, uh, I don't think he's his own. I think he has an agent. The fact that his agent hasn't at least put out a statement, got a hold of Coughlin, got a hold of Caldwell. I mean, that's that's NFL 101, especially from a football agent standpoint, is you got to stay in communication. You know, I mean, that's that's business. That's how business operates. And good business requires communication. So the fact that not even an agent, nobody has heard of Telvin Smith. Yeah, I mean, I I want to say it is the money situation where they maybe offer, like, they uh, ask him to take a pay cut. But even then, I feel like if you're a player, you're going to come out and say, well, they offered me to take a pay cut. I'm not doing it. And you, you voice your frustrations. You use social media or whatever, but you voice your frustrations. But the fact that it's been completely silent, Brendan, you've, you brought it up and it's something I never really thought of, is maybe that the NFL is involved and maybe there is something going on here where there might be some kind of trouble getting handed out. Yeah, the interesting thing about the pay cut idea, which you brought up today, and again, I didn't really think about it as much, is that happens, I wouldn't say frequently, but enough where a team might say, hey, we're trying, we're up against it here a little bit. Would you be interested in a reworking? We'll benefit you down the road a little bit, but you got to do this right now. Those aren't usually contentious conversations. Now, it might hurt someone's feelings a little bit, but it's usually if you say no to that, which I think plenty of people have said no to that before. Those aren't mm-hmm. usually public. It usually gets public when they say yes, like Marcel Darius this year. But did the Jags ask other people to take a pay cut or rework their deal? And this, It could have happened, and we just don't know about it this offseason, especially when they were up near against the cap. So I would be surprised if that would tick off the the player side of it. But I'm, I'm going to be honest, Brent, coming from a player's perspective, and, you know, I obviously never got opportunity to get a second contract, but I know a lot of, like, I've been in a couple locker rooms, I know how those locker rooms operate. There's a feeling sometimes that if a player is asked to take a pay cut, I mean, if they don't do it, they're looked at like, kind of like a villain. But at the same time, you never ask a coach to take a pay cut if they're not performing well. You never ask a GM to take a pay cut if they're not performing well. But if a player doesn't perform well, yeah, you're going to bring them to the office. Hey, you know, you haven't been performing. Maybe we're going to restructure here or here. Maybe not pay you so much up front. Like, how is that fair, though? Let's, let's be honest here. I mean, it's a contract. The whole point of a contract is to honor the contract. So if you take a player's money away and say, well, you didn't perform well this past season, let's take some of this away, that's not right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and I'm just saying, from 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 some NFL player standpoints, ask him to take a play a pay cut rubs them the wrong yeah, way. Yeah, and that's fair. I, I, that's fair enough. I could see how it could get there. I, I also think, you know, it's a fair question to say, does your play warrant that? And and again, usually when they ask to restructure, it's not you. Like Marcel Darius's was interesting. He actually did like lose some money because. I think they would have cut him, mm-hmm. and so then he wouldn't have gone and made that kind of money anyway somewhere else. He realized that. I mean, that's the business side of it, and, and yeah. they have the control over that. But at the same time, too, they showed their faith in 
Marcel Darius because they paid him all that money up front. I mean, if, if Marcel wanted to be like, uh, I'm going to take this year off, well, he's got all his money up front. So, like, they put faith in him saying, we're going to pay you so-and-so up front, and we're going to trust that you keep on doing the right things that you have been doing and uh, not just kind of take the money and run. Well, but so Tillman they're, they're, Smith did that, too, with some of his new deal. I mean, he got a yeah. $45 million contract a couple yeah. of years ago. So, uh, again, we, we don't know. The simple question is this now. Are we going to see? Does your gut tell you? Because we don't have enough. And, and by the way, I, I should share this because this has, has been common at times, too. Uh, we just had a comment about the Telvin Smith situation. Uh, Kevin Stryker says, I think Telvin and Jalen show up at the same time. Ramsey wasn't going to be there. Telvin said, I got you. You won't be the only one not there. Both will be ready to go for the season. It's a non-story, capital letters of voluntary. And I like that comment because I've actually thought about how much is this a story right now. Mm-hmm. It is voluntary. I just feel like the words of the Jags, if you start from Dave Caldwell earlier uh, in the week, like Thursday, when asked about Telvin, I think it was Thursday, he said, uh, you got to check back with me at the end of the weekend or something, or word about the draft. And so they checked back. Well, we checked back with him on Saturday, and you heard the comments uh, a segment ago, and it was, is he going to be on the team? We'll see. So I do think that made it into a story. Um, I thought about that, Kevin. Is it a non-story? But I'm not sure it's as simple as that. I I think it's a little naive to consider this a non-story. I think the fact that a guy hasn't reached out, even though people have made attempts to reach out and they haven't talked, is a little bit more than a non-story. And then the words this weekend of the general manager... Uh, make it even more of a story and definitely a curiosity. So I disagree with Kevin on that front. Bottom line is, what you got to tell you, is he going to be here for mandatory minicamp? He doesn't have to be here until June 11th, until that's when he could get fined. Or is he even going to be here uh, late July? Man, <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure at all, right? Well, it's just a gut check right yeah, now. Yeah, it's, it's a gut check. So my gut. And, you know, I've only interacted with the guy a couple times. My gut tells me that there's something going on that he's not going to be here um, until it affects his pay, until it affects his wallet. Which, again, could be in June. I mean, well, is yeah, that I enough mean, to affect the player's wallet in June, the three days? I mean, you got to get fined, whatever it is. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think it is. You know, so I mean, you start getting fined. Yeah. That's, and, and I get every player values money differently. Um if it was me, I wouldn't want to lose that money. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's uh, it's a lot of money. So I think he's here in June. It's just, it's an eerie situation, Brent. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to call right now because if there was any kind of communication, I would feel better about saying, well, yeah, he'd probably yeah, show yeah. up in a couple I, weeks. I don't but think you we'd be talking know. about it. Then yeah. I don't think we'd be talking about it. Exactly. But you bring up a good point. You've lived it on the other side. You said, at least as agent by now, even if there's a little bit of rift, would have some communication now again i mean maybe the phone's already ringing maybe it rang yesterday i I mean you never know when but at least until this point nobody publicly is saying they've talked and contacted each other and from your vantage point as a guy who played in the league that's a little unusual and if you're his agent wouldn't you want to kind of create some at least a little dialogue because what are we doing right now? We're questioning if Telvin Smith's going to show up at all. Well, that, and, like, it puts Telvin in a bad light. That was going to so, be my other part of this. When does it get to the point where his agent or Telvin has to, you know, social media these days, come out and say something? Because yeah. I think people like us, whether Kevin thinks it's a non-story or not, I think it's going to be talked about. Now, we'll see if it's talked about nationally. 
or not. Hasn't quite yet been picked up nationally, but uh, we're getting into the silly season where you start digging de- deeper and deeper and deeper because there's not the draft to talk about or a football game to talk about. Mm-hmm. Be interesting to see where this goes on the Telvin Smith front. Uh, a little NBA. The NBA oh, officials, man. did they mess up or not? Plus, more on the NFL draft, including what the Jaguars did. How happy are you with the Jaguars draft class of 2019? Make sure to give us a call, 904-362-9901, or chime in on the social media platforms. You can always watch the show on Twitter at Brent A.S. Jacks. Also on YouTube, our Action Sports Jacks channel, on Twitch, ESPN 690 Jacks, and there on Facebook, ESPN 690. We'll be back with more on Action Sports Jacks and ESPN 690 next. Conversation over here. We're doing some planning for the summer. Yep. So now I have a mouthful of healthy trail mix. So go ahead and talk. From from the NCAA tournament game. So somebody got the penicillin. We're going to need it. I almost said something else. (laughs) And so I'm glad I didn't. Oh, I wish you would have because that would have been a that would have been a button for years to come, Brent. Yes, sir. That was a good catch. Because it would have been really not good. It would have been uh, it would have been your your intro for sure. Brent Martineau, and yeah, there we go. <laughs> it would have been classic. Now I kind of wish I said it. No, man. The tape is always rolling, guys. Don't do that to yourself, Brent. It's all good. No worries. But uh, how are the how how is that show mix from the NCAA tournament game? It's not bad. But can you talk you so well I can nourished? finish? Okay, but, okay. I'm sorry. I'll keep talking. Then do you want me to get into stay in your lane, quick, Brent? Or yeah, do it. That's yeah. a good breather for me. All right. Am so, I malnourished? Uh, well, yeah. You're eating trail mix from I know, I was a little six hungry. months ago, dude. All right. Stay in your lane real quick. Maybe Brent should stay in the lane with old trail mix. But we're going to cruise control first. Got to go out to Mike Perry and Charles Oliveira uh, for their dance-off during the UFC bout. Listen, Brent, and we've had this conversation with you, too, before we're leaving the stadium, how I thought these guys should have been the co-main event. No offense to Greg Hardy. He had a performance. He won. The guy he fought didn't really want to fight back, but, hey, it is what it is. That's that's the fight business. But I thought these guys were going to put on a great show, and lo and behold, they did. Um, the highlight for me was not even the fight, which was a barn burner. It was the fact that coming to the cage, Mike Perry first was uh, was dancing. Uh, all the way up to the cage, and then when Charles Oliveira came out, well, Charles Oliveira was dancing too as well, and then Perry proceeded to dance with him, and they kind of had a dance-off before the fight. And I think, you know, there's a there's a certain type of, type of stigma, um, a certain type of, I guess, just, you know, fighters fall into this category all the time where they're meatheads and they're, you know, there's no personality. It's I hate you, you hate me, yada, yada, yada. Let's sell the fight. And sometimes it's always refreshing when two guys get in there who... No, they're about to go to battle, but they still have fun right before it. So it was cool to show off some personality and whatnot. So props to Mike Perry, Charles Oliveira, and Mike Perry, a guy that I've met a couple times, trains in Orlando. And uh, people want to say he was put on a front there. No, that's not a front. That is who Mike Perry is. Really? He is a crazy, crazy dude, and uh, he is MMA. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's good, though. I mean, personality 
Yeah, it is good. Well, and, and you sports, know, and, in all different sports, and uh, especially like the entertainment era now, the UFC, um, where it's all about calling somebody out and bringing someone down, talking crap about their family, whatever you want to say. So it's always refreshing when two guys just know that they're going to put on a good show and they can have fun with it and be themselves. Yeah, that's good. Yep. Uh, and then uh, pump your brakes, going out to draft grades. Brent, you kind of teased it in the start of the show. Let's think about this here. Especially in football, but I think professional sports are one of the only jobs where we evaluate an employee before he ever even steps on the field, before we ever even see a performance out of him. We want to evaluate an employee, whether it's grading the entire draft in general for a team or grading that draft pick. And I get it, I guess. Um, you know, like it's our job to to put figures, to put letters next to to drafts because people like like to debate well either he's right or he's wrong and people like that draft grade but listen from from a former football player professional athlete I'm here to tell you and like I said Brent I'm an athlete first before I, uh, I'm a media person I think the draft grades are complete for now uh, I think the draft grades are completely overblown I think they're absolutely stupid and uh, you know what if you, if you want my draft grades quick I'll give them to you I think the Jaguars um, they got three Krispy Kreme donuts and a large cola I think the Colts got uh, two double cheeseburgers with extra mac sauce and uh, Sprite to drink I think the Titans got uh three paydays and two Reese's Pieces and let's go ahead and give the Texans uh, let's go with uh, a bowl bowl of Ben and Jerry's extra chunky and a chocolate chip cookie well, so there you go. table for one. Yeah, there you go. So th- there, there's my grades. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be a puppet and give out A, Bs, and Cs, and Ds to every single team because that's what you're supposed to do. No, it's it's pointless. I'm sh- I'm not sure which one I didn't like. Yeah, th- and that's the point, right? Like, I'm sure they're going to be good or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe one night I'm not feeling like ice cream and cookies, but... Yeah, congratulations to all to all the teams. I understand. It, <laughs> is, it is interesting, uh, but I also think... The NFL is such a machine right now. And Mel Kuyper, I I was thinking this the other day, Mel Kuyper, when he retires, whenever that is, I don't know what they're going to name after him for the draft or how they're going to commemorate Mel Kuyper, but they better start thinking of it because you could solely, well, it's not solely because people have helped build it, but the man responsible for so much of the buildup around the draft is Mel Kuyper. I mean, it really is. He creates so much so that he created, I think he helps create the narrative of the Quincy Williams pick even mm-hmm. today. Is the fact that he builds this board out and then those are the names we all see, even though no GM ever confirmed that those are the names that everybody's looking at. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's like this fantasy draft world that we live in with nothing at stake other than opinions being thrown around and I think your point is dead on. I'm trying to think of another business that we do that in, like where you would grade somebody or judge somebody prior to on the field. Like I don't I think it's very unique in that sense. I mean the NBA I think does it to a degree, but not as transcendent. The NFL is just so big. It just shows how big it is that people want to talk about it. People want to critique it. People want to study film about it. And then they want to judge. And they want to judge, okay, this guy's going to make it. And I want to be right three years from now when this guy's a pro bowler. And I said, I was right about that. It's it's as simple as that. 
like, why else would all these people talk about it that really don't have to talk about it? I mean, there are so many people on social media and wherever else that talk about it. Yeah, because it's fun. But, I mean, sit there and really put work in on this stuff. Yet I don't think they're getting paid. But I think a lot of times they do it because, well, maybe they're trying to create a career, craft a career in that industry. Mm -hmm. Or they really just want to say at the end of the day, hey, I told you this back here. I'm pretty good at this stuff. You know, you brought up Mel Kuyper, and that kind of reminded me of something that I heard once. Do you? Well, and this is a rumor, but I have it on pretty good authority because my source here, I'm not going to reveal, but my source, uh, I feel like knows what's going on. Do you know supposedly how Mel Kuyper got the whole draft gig in the first place? Uh, no, I vaguely kind of remember a story around this, but I, I don't. Yeah. I don't know so, if I, I can't recall it, so no. So what I heard, and once again, this is just hearsay, but it's a pretty reliable source, is, is that he was working with ESPN, and one of the executives, um, I guess they're like on the street or like in an elevator or something, and one of the executive goes, goes like, so how good are you at guessing people's heights and weights? And Kuiper's like, I'm pretty good at it. And the executive goes, if you can guess the next guy that comes in the elevator or wherever, if you can guess his height and weight to like a certain you know moment... I'll, I'll give you the, the lead thing on the NFL draft or ESPN. And a guy comes in the elevator and Kuiper guesses it, and that's how Kuiper became the NFL draft guru that he is today. Now, once again, this is all hearsay. Um, I know that story is not really out there in the public, but that's just what I heard from a source. Just huh. saying. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it was – it couldn't have been solely on that. But okay. if you go back some 30-something years, well, the draft was – very simplistic then from a mm-hmm. coverage standpoint so maybe it was that you know it yep. wasn't as intricate as it is now so I, I guess I shouldn't say it was more than that well and this was a guy who he was he was a scout before a little bit you okay. know, he was in scouting yeah. but I'm saying when he got the big game yeah. supposedly that's what it was and Just listen, the guys put in a ton of work I, I, I raved about Daniel Jeremiah I, I think that guy does a really good job and it's crazy how much work they do kind of you know it's their world it's their business but there's no payoff for them in terms of being right and wrong I mean, other than they're being an analyst and people respect them as an analyst, but there's no pay- like these teams at least have a payoff, right? Yeah. I mean, there's games to be won, there's championships to be won, there's there's probably more money to be made and promotions to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily for everybody else surrounding the draft. So nothing surprises me anymore with the draft. I just now wonder how much bigger can it get. And to go back to a conversation we had, I think on Friday, I think they have to be a little careful. It doesn't get too big. There's there's something about the few days. There's something about um, keeping it in a, a certain stratosphere and not making it the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Day Parade. I, some of those images almost were too much for me at times. I mean, it, there there is an element of that. Although, when you see a big-time party and you see that many people interested in the event, it's really hard to deny that... Well, it should be big, and it's only going to get bigger. Since we're on that topic, too, and that's something that we didn't cover on Friday, but what were your thoughts about Jeffrey Simmons in that video um, that, that like the NFL Network ESPN shared with him hitting that woman when he was in high school? Um, what did you think about that? Yeah, and it was the timing of it, too. Right? It was, it was it right was, around yeah. the time he was being picked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Listen, well, I, it, I, I, I'm prefer- so sorry, but it was after he got picked. It wasn't even around there. He he got picked, and then and then banned the video. Yeah. yeah, but listen, I think it's twofold. I think it's one. I, I would like to. I'd like for that kid to have the moment. You'd like to be able to have the moment. 
the bottom line is that you make your bet. Mm-hmm. And if you have something um, from that kind of incident to a DUI to a whatever, you I'm not saying he had that. I'm just saying whatever it is, you have to answer to that all the time. I and mean, that's part of the decision making you, you have. And I know at that time he didn't know six years down the road or five years down the road that he'd be drafted in the number 19th pick in the draft, and then they'd be showing that stuff. But people make bad decisions, and that was a bad decision. That's something that follows them. There's video of it, and I am not as critical of ESPN for showing it as many people are. I mean, that's part of his story, like it or not. And I understand that, Brennan. You're the perfect guy to ask because you're in the business, you know, but... My opinion is this. I mean, yes, ESPN showed that, but then I, I got to explain to my four-year-old son who's watching it at home, like, why is that guy beating up this girl? Like, why can't you just say he had some altercations in high school where there was an assault uh, against a woman? Like, why do you have to show that video? I mean, and I get it, like, you know, a picture's worth more than a, a thousand words or whatever, and I understand that. But was that really the time or place to show the video? Like, couldn't you just say, like, he has a history of so-and-so and so-and-so? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what kind of feedback they get on that. Uh, yes, to your to your point, yes. But we wouldn't be talking about it today. Obviously, yeah. it doesn't resonate as well. The words don't resonate. Those images do resonate. And, uh, again, I would have been fine if they didn't show it. Uh, but they're surely not targeting in their audience no, 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 no I, exactly. So, but at the same time, Brent, they're trying to make it this giant spectacle. It's on four channels. Yeah. I mean, families are going to watch. Yeah, like over 11 million people yeah. watch. I think so it was. families are watching, too. Yeah. That's all I ask that people uh, keep in mind. So I, I, it'll be interesting if they get some pushback on things like that, because now there's video of everything. Mm. So it's always a remember this incident. He was tied to this incident. But did they do, uh, oh, I'm going to misplay did they have any video like a Baker Mayfield in, in any kinds of incident? Well, yeah, so there was the incident where Baker Mayfield was running from the cop. Did they um, have video of that? I believe they did, yeah. And I think they showed that. Yeah, I, I, see, I'm not going to, don't quote me on it because I can't remember. I don't either. Um, but I feel like I saw that video a lot, so I assume you know what that I mean? they did. Yeah, yeah. But nobody's like, well, that's not, a, it's the same idea, it's just it a different is. kind of video. I mean, it is, but it also I think there's something to be said for running away from a cop as opposed to... Uh, a guy yeah. striking a woman is a little more graphic. But, yeah, I, I see where you're coming I from still, there. Let me ask you that. Yeah, was there's this, a video of it. Yeah, there was yeah. for Mayfield, yeah. too, right? There, I, t- I still think that was a bad pick by Tennessee. Some people like that pick yeah. because of the value. You might be a top-five guy. Mm-hmm. My point, if I'm a Tennessee fan, I would be like, we need to win. Like, now. they might. This guy might not help them at all this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they wasted a 19th. They basically got a red shirt. From their 19th overall pick. I mean, that's I, I get that he's talented, but are they in position to be able to... Now, if the, again, if the Patriots do it at the back end of the first round, you don't even Easy blink an eye it. at it. Yeah. But if you're the Tennessee Titans, if you're luxury the Jacksonville Jaguars, can you make a luxury pick like that in the top 20 selections of the draft? I mean, yeah. at least they get the fifth-year option, so they can almost, if you don't use them this year, then they get them on the back end for a little longer. 
Uh, that was a questionable pick, in my well, opinion, for many reasons. But it was really just from a, an overall will he play this year or not, and what you know from the ACL stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a very questionable pick. And to Tennessee a team, I mean, they end up getting they got AJ Brown, who I yeah. think is going to be a pretty good, good player, two, is going to be a, two, a good two receiver too. They're not asking him to be that one receiver, and you know, and that was kind of the the whole theme of this Jaguars draft, right, Brent? Where we thought overall it was pretty solid. You know, I mean, if we were going to give it a grade, we'd probably give it an A. You know, but. <laughs> Uh, but I think the the big debate was the fact that the Jaguars didn't get a wide receiver, uh, especially in the, in the later rounds. And, I, you know, this is one of those situations where I ask fans to maybe pump their brakes a little bit because, number one, this wasn't really a stacked wide receiver class to begin with. You know, I mean, Not in terms of high-level talent. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're talking about, you know, maybe D.K. Metcalf going. We, we had the Campbell from Ohio State, but, like, there wasn't a bona fide one receiver. And then even towards, like, the second and third rounds, there wasn't really that guy there. And, and I understand, like, people will say, well, just, you know, get some guy in the fourth or fifth round. But how many times does that pan out at the wide receiver position? How, how many times do you get a guy? I don't know. I know Antonio Brown's an exception, but how many times do you get a guy in the in the fourth or fifth or sixth round and that just comes in and is an instant playmaker? Because that's that's pretty rare. Um, and I think wide receiver is one of the spots where it is hard to adjust from you know being drafted and then going to the NFL. I mean, it's one of the hardest spots to do, as opposed to maybe a, a linebacker that the Jaguars got in the third round, where I feel like the linebacker is one of the easiest positions to transfer or to you know to go from college to the NFL because it's the same position. You basically got to play your you get you got to fill the holes, play fast, and hit somebody. Uh, that's simple. But with wide receiver. Um, it's a little different. Yeah, I think there's a boomer bust uh, yeah. ability with the wide receiver. Uh, in fact, we're going to take a timeout. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about undrafted free agents because this franchise has had some pretty good ones, especially recently, but pretty good ones in uh, in franchise history. And is there a player that you wish they had taken? You like the draft, but is there a player that you wish the Jazz had got and he either went right off the board in front of them or... They could have gotten them and passed up instead. Let's give a selection or two when we come back on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau. You see him every day on CBS 47, Fox 30, Action Sports Jack. Austin Lane. He's a former Jack star and current MMA fighter. Broadcasting live from the Anna and Levine studio. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. How hard did you have to work to get your number when you got to the Jaguars as a fifth-round pick? Um, well, I was number 97 in college, and 97 was taken. I can't remember who. Oh, it was by uh, Reggie Haywood, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Reggie's a good dude. Yeah. So when I got to the locker room, 92 was in the locker room. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Like I'm not, I'm not going to argue with 92. So 92 was born. Now, when I got to the Chicago Bears... 73. Swaggerless number, if you will. That is swaggerless. Uh, very swaggerless, especially playing outside linebackers. So I was a little... You can be number 73? Yeah, apparently. I guess they didn't plan on me making the roster, Brad. Let's be honest here. Because, uh, yeah, I was number 73. Um, hated it. But I also, I guess, used that as fuel because I told myself that if I do make the team, 
Uh, I'm going to make this ugly number look good. So that, <laughs> that, that was kind of the plan going into it. I was it. thinking when you said 73, I was almost thinking Evan Britton wore that in Chicago. Didn't he play in Chicago? Yep. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like he might have wore 73 I he in was Chicago. 72, maybe. I can't remember. That I was William the Refrigerator Perry. Yeah, now we're talking. Nice nice pull there. How about Kansas City? Would you wear, was it 92? Ooh, 90, man. 90. That was 90. Coming in at 280 pounds, we're rocking that 90. I was not upset with the number 90. How about Detroit? Detroit, I was 97. Very, uh, very nice. Yes. Okay, so you yep. got 97, 90, 92, and 73. Finished up the career with this most swaggerless 73 I've ever seen. You sure yeah. they didn't week think on you, Powerball. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you sure they didn't? You didn't think, or they didn't think you were going to play offensive line? I know, right? No, the 73, and um, the funny part was, too, is, so the way it was set up was, is that I had that during training camp, I get released, then I get bad, I, I get, you know, brought back on, and I get to the training room, and they're like, so do you want 73, or do you want to change numbers? And, like, changing numbers can be a hassle sometimes, I'm like, yeah. no, I want 73, because I'm going to make it special, so <laughs> there we go. You're like, I'm going to do this But anyway. people take for granted numbers, man. Like, sometimes numbers me. I mean, Well, today, Josh yeah. Allen got yeah. number 41. But you know what the Jaguars had to do to get 41? I, I don't know what he had to pay Trey Herndon. Um, I mean, there have been there are great stories about guys paying for numbers. Oh know, yes. whether it's vacations, big uh, bucks. golf clubs, big whatever bucks it might in be. the numbers Some, business, Brent. There are I've big dollars. In, yeah, I've seen it firsthand. And uh, who was who had 21 when Jalen Ramsey got here? So he couldn't get it. Was it Prince of Mukambara? Couldn't tell you. Somebody out sure. there yeah. listening will let me know. But uh, I forget who he... I think it was a veteran, so therefore he didn't get it. Unless there was someone that just didn't want it. Was it 21 that he was in college? I feel like it was 21. Yeah. Uh, but there was a J- but Jalen kind of went back and forth to the point where even when it got free, uh, that it came open... That Jalen, I think, thought about changing his number, but then it's costly to the player because you have to buy back jerseys. Jalen Ramsey was eight in college. You're way off. He was eight? Okay, so he might have wanted to wear 21. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I was way off. Eight. <laughs> My gosh. Um, but oh, I, good. I think uh, maybe it was that he wanted to wear 21 for Dion. Well, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm Googling him now. Like, he was eight. I think for a bit he might have been seven. I don't know. He's all over the place. He's got a bunch of different numbers. Yeah. That's what it looks like here. Uh, but but there, eight, there are yeah. some good stories about it. And anyway, Josh Allen, 41 in college. Well, he got 41 here, but the Jags had to list him as a defensive end slash linebacker to be able to do it because you can't be a defensive end and wear numbers in the 40s in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You can only wear, I think, in the 50s and the 90s. They have designated well, numbers uh, per position. But here's the thing, though. So... To be an outside linebacker, you can't be in the nineties, right? That's what the that's what the rule is. But then, say if you ran a three four, and you had like that outside linebacker scheme, I mean, if you're on the line, can you still be like the ninety? Because I, I feel like know. you can't. Yeah, I, I know. I don't. I, mean, I don't know number gate that well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. To but me. there are yeah. restrictions. There are restrictions. And so they yeah. had to list him as a linebacker, mm-hmm. even though he's not really going to play linebacker in that sense. They had to list him that way. Yeah. Uh, for him to get 41. So, and Trey Herndon had 41. Well, there's obviously been a deal that's been done because Herndon is now 37. So that went uh, pretty smooth. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like I said on my whiteboard, Brent, uh, Josh Allen about to make 41 look good because I can't think of too many 41s out there off the top of my head. I really can't. Yeah. But yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll make it look good. I have, I have faith in him. Yeah, is it is uh, is like Chris Sale 41 for the Red Sox? He's like 0 5. <laughs> I know that. Just looking for an opportunity to bring your Red Sox into the show, Brent. I respect it. 
Um, and I feel I'm, like not good, I'm not good at the numbers game. You're you're not a really good fan, are you? I mean, you know your own pictures. Uh, he is he is 41. Brandon, good call. Yeah, good call. So. Yeah. And thanks for not putting up the the Boston Celtics in my face either today against the Milwaukee Bucks. Well, Appreciate we're gonna that. Get to that. over. Well, yeah, we're gonna do it right now. Oh, sweet. Can't wait. Uh, do we have to take a break, Scott, or do you want to go to the top of the show? Uh, actually, I thought we might uh, jump on the phone for just a second. Oh, uh, yeah, South, South Beach, Beach Gary? Gary's checking in with some thoughts on the draft. South Beach Gary. What's up, South Beach Gary? How we doing? How did the fish do? Gary, you there? <laughs> there Hello, he is. Hello, Gary. South Beach Gary. What's up? How did? What do you think? Josh Rosen's your guy. Yeah. Hey, Austin Brent. You know, watching the draft on... Uh, Friday and the Dolphins once again made a trade with the Saints and they, they've done that a few times over the last few years. The Cowboys have been a trading partner. How come the Jags don't have a trading partner like several teams work with? I've never seen the Jags work with either making a trade with somebody or trading with somebody. How come they haven't developed that? How come Caldwell hasn't developed a relationship with an NFC team got over the years. Well, I think he has. Um, maybe not the NFC necessarily, but I think we talked about this last week when we were talking trades and the possibilities for Caldwell and the Jags to trade. Baltimore has been a dance partner many a times over the years, and, and not even before Caldwell. But I think there's still a good relationship uh, with Caldwell. Uh, and the Baltimore Ravens right now. I, I didn't realize that they had one with Baltimore. Though. Well, and also Atlanta, I think, would would be, there were certain to be rumors because Atlanta uh, floated around, and that, of course, is Dimitrov, who uh, hired Dave Caldwell, so there's a connection there. And I think what was interesting, a little nugget of knowledge, a little trivia question, the Jags, when they moved up to get Jawan Taylor, made the first ever move as Mike Mayock, the GM. With the oh, Raiders. I didn't think about that. So yeah. that was the first trade that Mike Mayock ever had. That was with uh, Caldwell Coughlin and the Jacksonville right. Jaguars. Because I look at it, if a team wants to move up and, you know, you make a trade with them, help them out, you, it might be in another position one day where say, hey, uh, you know, we'd like to move up. And they'll think about, you know, they did it for us. It, it doesn't hurt to have that relationship, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 think t- I think you're right, though. I think you find alliances, find people you trust, find people that aren't going to kind of screw you over and, and the value side of it. So you could say, well, okay, I think this, this is a good deal for thing, both of us. The Saints must like working with the Dolphins because they've done it several times over the past few years. Yeah. Uh, the uh, what else? Uh, Stanley couldn't believe, guys, Austin. Ten out of the last 11 years, the Jags have drafted in the top ten four times more than any other team in the league. Yeah, I think it's 11 out of 12. Wow. Four, yeah, yeah, four more times I, than anybody else. I like the Rosen thing in the fact, Brad, you're asking me, the fact that they haven't given, they didn't give up much, and the fact that I love the Greer sub, that doesn't necessarily mean the, uh, they added that extra second-round pick with the Saints. They were out of the quarterback thing for next year either, so that... It, you know, it's not as costly as it used to be, like when, uh, you know, you pay ridiculous rookie, $15 million guaranteed, you know, for rookie quarterbacks in the old days. It, it doesn't it hurt as bad to get out of a contract. Yeah, I got you. All right, South Beach Thank Gary, you. thanks, man. I hope yeah. you enjoyed draft weekend. Oh, yeah, and sh- shout out to the Dolphins, too. Go back-to-back Wisconsin picks. They got Michael Dieter, and then they picked up Andrew Van Ginkle, um, linebacker from Wisconsin. Van Ginkle. Van Ginkle. Huh. Sounds like a Wisconsin guy. Um, Ray Finkel? Uh, I think no relation, but I can do some research, Brent. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll get back to you tomorrow. Uh, Tom Seaver, by the way, also number 41. Okay. There we go. He's a pitcher, too, right? 
<laughs> I wanted to be sure of that one, so I didn't yeah. swing and miss. But him and Chris Sale, uh, number 41s, and so is Josh Allen. Now, all right, when uh, we come back, we'll take a quick time out. Uh, one more segment to go. I may uh, talk a little Buck Celtics, but I do want to. Who's the player that you said, oh man, I wish they took him here? Was there one of those for you on draft weekend for the Jacksonville Jaguars? We have some responses on social media. Feel free to jump in on the phone lines real quick, 904 9901 as well. That's what we'll talk about next. Hey, it's Mike Golick from Golick and Wingo. You're listening to Action Sports Jacks with our friend Brent Martineau on ESPN 690. All right, what happened to the Bucks? I don't know. What do you mean? That was a bad so, sign. So did I bet one of my guys from my gym uh, that the Bucks were going to beat the Celtics in like five games? I might have. And did I also have the quote, uh, Al Hor- Horford, there's no way he's going to be able to guard Giannis because Al Horford is 60 years old. Even I could dunk on uh, Al Horford. Did I say that? I sure did. And uh, is there a viral video of Al Horford <laughs> blocking Giannis? Not once, but twice in the span of three seconds. There sure is. So, yeah, I got served a big old slice of humble pie yesterday. Just a game or a concern? Just a game, I think. I hope, Brandon, what do you want me to say, man? Yeah, I'm a little concerned, too, because money's on the line for me, so I'm extra concerned. But I think, uh, man. Greek Freak did not play well. Greek Freak didn't play well, but the Celtics did a great job of defending him. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was really the first time, because usually with the Greek Freak, you're talking about a guy being matchup-proof. I mean, he can beat you off the dribble, he can beat you in the post, but they did a fantastic job of uh, defending him, and... I think that's kind of a testament to Brad Stevens. I mean, I think Kyrie Irvin had a game where he was out of his mind as well, but Brad Stevens, um, you know, for all the scrutiny he was getting this year for kind of losing that locker room a little bit, I'll tell you what, man, it's playoff time now, and he's looking like the real deal again. Well, and his his M.O. is that they'll get after it on the defensive side. If if you're Mm -hmm. playing well, he'll get after it uh, on that side of the ball. So I would be scared to face the Celtics because they have underachieved all year long, but they are pretty darn good. I mean, they got a lot of different ways to beat you, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a scary thing. They they took it too. The Bucks. We'll see where it goes. Just one game, but they certainly stole home court right away. Uh, what about the officiating in the Houston game? This is not going away. Uh, did you see what today they came out with? That they actually missed a couple of calls. They got two calls that everybody's talking about right, mm-hmm. but they got a couple of calls wrong on Steph Curry. He should have had two more fouls in the last couple minutes of the game, and he ends up hitting uh, the three-pointer with 27 seconds to go. That was a big dagger three. We're going to talk about officiating until the end of time. I think the NBA guys make it really hard. I think all these shooters in three-point land make it really hard. I was fine that it was not called a foul there on uh, James Harden. But... This whole shooter jumping into the other, the, the, the defender. I mean, sooner or later, they're going to hurt themselves, too. You know, and, and it's uh, not a smart move. I, I thought Harden, while they might have gotten away with some stuff early on in that game, that shot right there, at least to me, should not have been called. I think it was the right call not to be called. And it's very difficult to officiate. But we will continue to talk about officiating in every sport, in every big event that happens. It's just part of it. I think it's tough for the rest right now. And they actually get graded the day after. I mean, that game just ended about 15 hours ago, and there are grades already out on that officiating crew. So people like you, you like that. There's accountability to the officials right away. I love that. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. 
Um, that's what needs to happen, I think, in all sports, <laughs> you know, to be honest here. And also, I'd be remiss, uh, since Kuz isn't here today, to mention the 76ers quick and the, the Toronto Raptors, man. The Raptors look like the real deal. I mean, Kawhi Leonard goes off for 45 points. It's amazing. The, the guy's a throwback. You know, he doesn't say anything. Um, he wears New Balance shoes. He has cornrows. Like, I haven't seen cornrows being rocked since, like, the early 90s, since Allen Iverson. But for whatever reason, man, Kawhi Leonard's the real deal. And uh, going to the, our TJ McConnell watch quick because who's such oh, a big... how many did he get? Uh, ooh, 0 for 1 for 0 points uh, for <laughs> TJ McConnell. I'm sure he bounces back in the next game and really uh, puts the team on his back, if you will. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> um, oh, one other thought on the Houston game. I actually think it's a smart move by Houston, though, to complain about the officiating openly, especially okay. early on in the series, yeah. because subconsciously, yeah. subconsciously, I think that will help you. Uh, I don't know what happens the rest of this series. That, that was a game they could have won, should have won. I, I think Hart has got to play better, man. When you hold them and you have 104 points and you got a chance to win, Harden had 35, but it was it was a quiet 35. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, hey, I t- I'm taking this game over. And give credit to the Warriors. They did a good job defending him. But this is what I talked about with James Harden. It is what we talk about with Russell Westbrook. These are the games where you got to step up and, and win, and you got to get them big. I mean, last year I think it was first game of the NBA Finals. LeBron and Cleveland lost, but LeBron had 50 in the game. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't like I don't think it was 14 to 14 from the free throw line kind of 50. I think it was like it was a memorable 50. Yeah. So I, I think Harden just you have to. He has to take over for them. He has to become clutch and big. I don't say he's never been clutch, but in this series, it's got to be Harden that just takes over the game in critical times. And when the door opens, he's got to be the one that slams it shut. And he didn't do it. He had a chance and didn't do it. And that's the thing with the Warriors, too, because let's be honest, it's the game of basketball. You're going to have off nights some nights. I mean, let's point to Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, he didn't perform that well. But the thing with Golden State... If Steph Curry has an off-shooting night, cool. Well, here's Clay Thompson. Here's Kevin Durant. If Kevin Durant has an off night, well, here comes Draymond Green. Like, there's just there's so many um, stars on that team that they, they can create their own shot. I mean, it's just it's like a four-headed monster. All right, the guy that you wanted to Jags to draft. Yeah, and this is outside of the first round because first round. I mean, you could first of all, I think they got a guy that you could say Hawkinson if you want, but outside of that, who would you have said? So, what do you think? So, from my perspective, listen, this was probably the, the perfect draft for me. Uh, Gardner Minshew comes in, a, a guy that was my favorite quarterback at the Senior Bowl, just from his personality. I love that pick. Um, I really had no complaints at all for the NFL draft. There was one guy, though, who I was hoping that the Jaguars would take with their last pick. They ended up trading it away, so they couldn't take him. And the guy actually went undrafted and signed with the Indianapolis Colts is a guy by the name of Penny Hart out of Georgia State. Now, Penny Hart was at the Senior Bowl. Um, didn't really blow anybody's doors off, but the guy's 5'8", 180, and those aren't big numbers, obviously. But Penny Hart is a, is a dynamo when it comes to gadgets and getting him in space. I think he's an interesting guy where he can do a lot of things with. I think Foles would have loved to have him as a weapon because... If I was going to knock the draft with the Jaguars, and, and I get it. I mean, the, the, the Jaguars got pretty much like a Leonard... Fournette clone, you know, out of the guy from Temple, but sometimes I don't mind them getting a slasher either, Brent, because sometimes you want to get like a like a power guy, but you also want to change a speed guy. The Jaguars didn't get that, and I think Penny Hart would have been that guy. I think at the end of the second round, I'm going to give you a list of people that were still there as the Jags were getting close to picking again at the third round, and they just got off the board. Paris Campbell, mm. Andy Isabella, and DK Metcalf. 
Those three guys. Now, they went right off before, so the Jags didn't have a choice. But I wonder, would they have taken the tight end over any of those three? Would they have taken Paris Campbell? I thought that would be interesting. And on the other side of it, the guy that jumps out to me is when they did take Oliver at 69, and they had to do it there. I think that was the right pick, but... Devin Singletary went a few back, and I think he's going to be really good. Sleepy good. The kid from Florida Atlantic like him. A lot of people do. Um, so you, you, you always do that. That's part of the draft. Yeah. You miss on some guys because they got taken right before you, or you have a different need uh, part of it. But uh, wish list was there for the Jags. All right, Scott, thanks, man. Thanks for hanging out. For us, Lane, I'm Brett Martin. I'll see you on TV, Fox 30 and CBS 47 tonight. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.